Another day in paradise. Can't make this stuff up. Probably September can't. End of September can't come too quickly. Can't come fast enough. Ay ay ay. Just when I thought we'd done enough spaces, um, these guys pull me all back in here, or Mister Market does anyway. It's just uh, I can't say what's happening is really a surprise. This is ultimately going to happen sooner or later. What we saw the other day. Uh, on Wednesday, uh, yesterday, seems like it was a long time ago. Was that a bottom? Yes. <clears throat> Trigger alert. Bad joke coming. Was it the bottom? Nope. I have to mention, as a side, I'm sure you're all aware, today, uh, nope started trading. Um, so we can talk about that later. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. So nope, in its debut, traded 65,000 shares. You will see the holdings um, as it's a fully transparent uh, a la uh, ARC. I'm trying to be just like Kathy. You're going to see the holdings every night, so you'll see them up there. Really interesting. What's uh, a lot of moving parts here? What's what's different? Um, you know, the decline doesn't stop. It's just relentless. But I was reading off of Zero Hedge. Um, and I'm quoting from an article here. They said, yeah, the crash just won't stop, but today something's changed. After yesterday's euphoric BOE-inspired short squeeze melt-up, today was supposed to be a continuation rally, courtesy one of the most oversold markets in history. You know, let's go back to the weekend. I mean, uh, over the weekend, all those, that graph of uh, the put volume, most puts traded ever, that was making the rounds. Everyone was appointed with McClellan Oscillator, and one thing after another, say, oh, it's going to rally, it's going to rally. And I sat there, and I said to myself, you know what, George, don't be a jerk and short in the hole. That's stupid to be playing against the odds. But then the other side of me said, everyone's talking about that it's oversold. Everyone's saying it's supposed to rally. And um, I forget who coined the phrase, but you know, when, when, when the market doesn't do – when everyone's expecting the market to do something, it's something else which, which, which inevitably happens. And that's where we are. So in any event, you know, the BOE, with what they did uh, reversing their QT to QE just within a week, that was supposed to give markets a respite. Um, that, didn't, that didn't last very long. Yields came off a bit. The dollar, the dollar has actually, you know, declined a bit. But that hasn't saved equities. As the great Michael Howell always says, volatility starts in the fixed income markets, then goes to the currency markets, and lastly winds up in the equity markets. And that's kind of where we are. And for those of you paying attention to FinTwit, you know, it's, it's all types of speculation who's been selling. We had the, the you know, disaster in the UK with the pension funds and stories that maybe the SMB is selling. Who the heck knows? But what is true, I saw a blurb the other day, I'll find it as we get into this room. I saw something the other day which spoke about following the Fed's uh, decision last uh, Wednesday that retail selling actually picked up in earnest. And that's something we hadn't really seen very much this year. And so that's different. So as, uh, for those of you that remember uh, Laurel and Hardy, gee, Ali, this is a fine mess you've gotten us into. This is when things start to possibly become disorderly. 
if retail's given up the ghost, and you might think that evidenced by the, the poor price action in Apple and Tesla, most notably, the last of the Mohicans, maybe they are. And I kind of, my own roadmap, and what do I know? Just just me trash talking? Yeah, we'll get a bounce. Maybe that was it. But when the market doesn't bounce when it's supposed to bounce, or when the bounce is pitiful, there's information content in that. When the market doesn't do what it's supposed to do, when it's supposed to do it, you got to stand back and say, what? So I know people always say I'm too bearish. I don't think I'm always too bearish. I've been bearish this year. And yeah, I'm probably on bounce. My personality is such, I tend to be glass half empty. I'll plead guilty to that. But I'm really trying to be a realist. And I could easily see a scenario where we get in the fourth quarter. Yeah, all right, fine. The market's up last day of the quarter, first couple of days of next month, week, whatever. It's all noise. I don't really care. But in trying to get the big picture right, we've nailed it this year. I could see a scenario where, um, you know, the economic news continues to get worse. We're going to go into earnings season now. Thornton, I couldn't remember the other day, um, you weren't in the room, but I wanted to use the term FedEx. And then someone after the fact, I said, some guy coined the term FedEx. And some guy after the fact sent me a DM saying, yeah, that was Thornton. Um, you're going to see an increase. And so, Tommy, you got a you got a patent. You got to copyright that. At any rate, um, I think you're going to see an increasing number of companies get FedExed. They absolutely positively can't deliver the earnings and they're going to get FedExed. Oh, that was a bad joke. So I think you're going to see increasing earnings disappointments. Stocks. I know this is hard to believe, but stocks. I was just having this conversation with somebody before the room started. Stocks have not fully adjusted for the increase you've seen in rates. Stocks are more overpriced now compared to bonds than they were in January. Or put another way, the equity risk premium needs to go up considerably. So you combine that, and we'll have KFAB weigh in on this, I'm sure, because he's better with the numbers than I am. I don't think you're getting any real material relief on um, rates. If you, and if you do, it's for the wrong reasons, because the economy's falling apart. So stocks still haven't caught up with bonds in terms of multiple compression. You combine that with falling earnings estimates, and earnings have only just started to fall. The chart I saw the other day showed uh, estimates, I think, um, I can't remember if it was the third quarter for the year. I think it was the third quarter, maybe. Down 6.3% over the last two or three months. And so earnings are starting to fall at an accelerated pace. And before people say Michael Belkin is crazy, you know, Michael Belkin is not crazy. Michael Belkin so eloquently pointed out in this room the other day that the last three downturns, earnings declines of average, I think it was 50%, 5-0. So whether or not earnings get to $111 a share in the S&P, who knows. But... The street's smoking something because they're still running with 230 numbers. So let's split the difference and call it 170. You know, just to start the conversation, let's take 170 times 15 or 2550. All right, I'm in a good mood, we'll make it 3,000. I'm in a bad mood, we'll make it 2,000, whatever. It's all downside. I mean, there's just no upside to this market, period. So you don't have to be a degenerate crazy and go short. That's fine. Leave it to the professionals. But for God's sakes, I keep coming back to what I've said numerous every single room equities represent return free risk get to cash at least you'll sleep better now you're getting paid four percent 
Okay, enough of that. Um, today's room um, was hastily arranged. Uh, Tommy and I decided at 3 o'clock to do this. And we've got Tom Thornton is going to opine on what he sees happening. And then I'd like uh, Dave Nikoski and then uh, KFAB after Tommy uh, weighs in. Um, Tommy, I, 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 I love you, man. I love your flexibility. You're not half glass empty like I am. So it's always good to hear some sunshine and hope from you. Uh, but I think even your hopes have been dashed the last couple of days. So, Tommy, take it away. The floor is yours. Hey, George. Um, I'm I'm always happy when I get you at least half, you know, half empty is, you know, a, a pleasure for me with you. Um, that's uh, really, um, really nice. And congratulations on launching Nope. I'm uh, very, very happy for you. Uh, I hope you do exceptionally well. I think this is a very... Uh, uh, opportunity-rich environment on both the long and short side. I think the bear market is going to continue for quite a while. Uh, that being said, I am in the camp that I do believe that a bounce uh, based off of oversold uh, indicators, uh, internals, just about everything is pointing towards a bounce. Uh, I look at DeMarc indicators, and if whoever you know, bid up the market towards the last uh, hour, I would have been on day 12 of 13 with the S&P and the NASDAQ. Uh, so now I'm back to day 11 and we have a couple more days to uh, figure this one out. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to hit a new low, but I, I tend to think that's possible. That being said, I am like just, what I tend to do is I start to buy uh, small positions. Uh, I weight everything. Uh, in this type of environment with 2% positions, uh, you can still make money with that, you know, if it, if it seems too small. Uh, but you also afford yourself a little wider stop. Uh, you can sleep at night. I tend to tell people to buy top quality and upgrade your, the quality of your portfolio when you do have down moves like this that get to very oversold conditions. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I will say I was wrong adding some things yesterday. I thought we would get a, a continuation bounce. Uh, but again, I sized myself small enough to where I can add uh, either lower or higher or cut positions uh, and not necessarily take too big of a haircut. I think you just you do have to be very flexible in this market. A lot of people are uh, the other day, two days ago, they were really, really hunkering with me hitting me up saying, you know, can we buy, can we buy, what can we buy? And I don't watch CNBC, but I would imagine uh, a lot of those people were also talking about what you can buy. But I think right now it's too late to hedge uh, with the indicators and internals like this. I think you could have some further downside. And, and you know, George, you and I talked about it earlier. Markets tend to crash when they're very oversold and certainly things could get really dicey. And I've, I've been on spaces with you for um, after this, I think the last couple of weeks, I've been saying that we were going to go lower. We had real risk of going lower. And I did believe we'd break the June lows, which we have. And, you know, I have a downside worst case scenario that I think would be somewhere just under 3000 on the SP, but I don't think that's going to happen on this move down. I just don't think that's 
uh, possible. But like, just for example, a couple of the indicators that I watch, the per- percentage of stocks above the 10 day and 50 day moving average and the 200 day moving average, they're at uh, two, three and 10 percent. That's real, that's real oversold and not necessarily that, it, it, you know, they can't go lower. Um, there's still a couple that can go lower. But typically, if you look at history, these things tend to you tend to get a relief bounce. And I'm not necessarily saying we're going to get this new bounce that's going to, you know, be the bottom. I think calling any of the the, you know, true bottom is a very difficult uh, task. But I do think that you can start to look at things. Now, here's the other things that are sort of my concerns. And I've been pretty vocal with these concerns. You have a lot of geopolitical risk. Um, You know, Putin is getting a little unhinged. And God knows what's going to happen. He's doing a a conference call tomorrow or or a news conference. So I don't know what is going to be coming out of that. I think he's going to talk about how he annexed uh, those four territories in Ukraine. Um, I, I, I still think he's, you know, painted himself into a corner on top of it. I don't necessarily, I don't want to get FedExed. I did say that. I, um, I think that you got to look at companies that aren't expected to guide down versus companies that are expected to guide down. So for example, we just had Micron report after hours. It's an absolute terrible report. It, it, they lowered guidance. They missed guidance. They, everything is bad. They, they cut CapEx, which might be a, a bit of a positive, but it's down less than 2%. And, you know, if they came out, I mean, they're already down, you know, substantially. So you're going to, you may get another quarter like we did last time where it's it, it, a lot of the downside or the earnings risk gets priced in. And you could have another, uh, could have been worse type moment or, it's priced in, but I think that's the, the risk right now, the earnings risk. Um, I think there's look at, um, Apple Tesla. I think those companies have been hiding places. Um, I think Apple's a great company. I was short. I covered it a little early and I'd love to be a buyer of that on some sort of substantial puke. Um, partly because I know that the buyback guy is going to come back after earnings and put his elbow on the buyback button and uh, help the stock. And they certainly operate um, magnificently, even in, in downturns, but uh, only on a big pukey type thing. I think Tesla is at risk. Uh, there's been concerns going around about deliveries that come out this weekend. I, I mean, Elon Musk could release the earning or the delivery numbers at 2 a.m. in Pacific Coast uh, on Sunday morning. You never know. But I think the delivery numbers are going to be at risk. And I'm not necessarily telling people to go out and short it because this is the hardest short I've ever encountered. But it's been a demand story. And if there's cracks in the demand story and they're notable, especially when they're adding two factories you know, going into a recession, selling cars that haven't been updated in five years, uh, that are that are pretty expensive. I think it's going to be a tough, a tough road for them, and it's a nine hundred or eight hundred to nine hundred billion dollar market cap. So it's a little insane just from that. And Ford came out with really you know terrible guidance. They lowered the bars, uh, their bar pretty pretty low for the next quarter, and they they were 
hit, I think, the hardest uh, they've, they've been down in, in years. Um, so I, I think right now it's, it's a precarious market. There's opportunities. There's going to be bounces. Um, trade your size small. Don't get you know, crazy with options to think that you, you got it. But a lot of the action right now reminds me, and I wrote it today and I tweeted it out, the, the picture of the, the woman who's sitting having dinner with her husband. And she says, oh, did you hear the story? Uh, Russia just shot down a plane. I better do some hedging trades. Well, markets probably limit down while she's doing lim- these hedging trades. And I think a lot of people are thinking they're getting real smart shorting stocks here. And maybe we've got a, another couple hundred handles on the S&P lower, but it's not necessarily with indicators and internals and sentiment where we are right now, where I would want to be putting hedging trades on uh, after the fact. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. And, you know, I'm trying to stay very flexible. Um, I'm patient. I, I recommend everyone you know, if you're able to, uh, a lot of people aren't uh, because they're mandated to be fully invested. Um, try to keep cash, you know, on the sidelines, wait for some opportunities because things are getting pretty done, done on the downside. And certainly the Fed isn't pivoting, in my opinion. Uh, there, Hey, maybe there'll be the PCE tomorrow will be um, a little better on the inflation front and maybe the market will respond positive to that. But I think the jobs number is going to stay still very, very solid. We saw claims under 200 today. Um, I mean, that's, you know, really something that uh, the jobs data is holding up. So I think the Fed's going to stay on it. And that's about it, George. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on things and trying to stay out of trouble. Thanks for that, Tommy. That was quite a good summary of what's a very... Uh confusing situation, difficult situation. One point you made I'd like to reemphasize for everyone, we've talked about it before, and that is staying small. Rather than worrying about one's net exposure, in an environment like this where correlations tend to increase, it's really your gross that matters. Because the mistake that many make, and I've made it before, you have your longs that you like, and you think they're good stocks, and the things you're short are bad stocks. I didn't say companies, I said stocks. But what tends to happen is, in a down, if those stocks are deemed to be the, you know, the good stocks or the, the, the consensus longs, you have other people puking them out for liquidity reasons. And so correlations rise. Sometimes the, the good stuff goes down even uh, more than the bad stuff. So trade small if you need to trade. Um, I, I just think the situation is so fraught with risk. Yeah. And George, uh-huh. one, one thing also, when you start to see the loved stocks get hammered, like Apple and Tesla, and and then you see the garbagey type stuff get really hit down. I mean, I'm looking at Peloton down 14%, Carvana down 20%. I mean, AMC, whatever, Bed Bath & Beyond. I'm just looking at the ones that are on the downside here on my screens. Wayfair down 9%. Uh, CarMax down. I mean, that's not a bad company, but they're in a bad place right now. Um, I think they're really starting to show some capitulation signs. There are a lot of other people that will say, no, we haven't seen a capitulation yet. But it was pretty broad-based selling today. And that 
that is part of capitulation. Um, the scary part of capitulation, which many of you and I have been through, uh, even when you're short, you're sweating and you're panicked because you're not necessarily worried about your portfolio. You're worried about a lot more uh, in the world. And you can look back on times like, you know, long-term capital was a really panicky time and nobody knew what was going to happen. Uh, some days when the dot-com bust hit, that was, you know, Q3 in 2000 was brutal absolutely brutal with so many companies guiding down and surprising the market. It just it was like one after another. And then the great financial crisis, uh, you had, that was prolonged. You had a lot of different, different episodes. You started with Bear Stearns that got hit and you had Lehman. Then you had TARP. And after TARP, when the fed came in and, and the government came in to bail everybody out, the market still went down and the market actually, the NASDAQ actually NASDAQ 100, bottomed in November, but the stuff that people loved, especially in financials, they bottomed months later. So it, it, bear markets can last a lot longer than people want and expect. And certainly if we have some sort of Fed pivot, it's going to have to have a handle on the S&P really close to a two. And um, you know, if we get to 3,000, I think the Fed could start to tell everybody that they're doing their job and that could spur some sort of some sort of bounce so that's that's it you know we're just just hold on to the guardrail 100 percent. thanks tommy um i'd like so um I, dave mccoskey's up here and kfab's up here you guys can flip a coin who wants to go next kfab dave or dave you want to go um i'm fine go on that's go fine. for it go for it dave yeah age before beauty david Oh, well, I'm either way, either way, it doesn't matter to me, but thank you. Um, so, you know, listening to some of Tommy's comments, you know, I, I think we were all, I think most of the majority of the market that's that of anyone that's been in here for quite some time, you know, and I've said it on a number of the calls, you know, the, the generals are always last to fall. Those are the well-loved stocks like Tesla and Apple. And until they're taken out and find a bottom, you know, the market's not done going down. Um, you know, I, I, I've said it on another call before, you know, my range is 2,700 to 3,000 is where I think we end up. But you know what? We're all just playing a guessing game. And it seems like a logical area that we should see that last, you know, third portion of the bear market should be the biggest drop and it should be the fastest drop. Um, you know, right now from a relative strength perspective, um, and I've said this on the call, previous calls before, you know, as I've suggested, even Hannibal Lecter said you can only live off of relatives for so long. And that's, you know, I'm referring to the relative strength is, is what I use to guide the market. Relative strength on, you know, so many areas of the market are, are just not long-term trends anymore. Um, they're becoming much, much shorter. You know, if I look at a, a relative strength trend on Walmart, Walmart's leading, but you know, you look at the stock chart and you go, you know, this is not great. It's just not going down as much as the rest of the market. And, you know, I think that puts us into a quandary because historically when you, you know, see a, a great shift in a downward, you know, or inflection and in relative strength within safety, and that would be the utilities and staples you're you're starting to get you know some bearish inflections on the relative strength 
And, you know, when you look back at history, you know, staples and utilities actually uh, greatly underperformed um, dur during the inflationary years of the 70, contrary to what many, many believe. Um, and the reason why is because they have a, you know, very high fixed cost and their variable costs are running out of control. And so it's, those were not good areas to be in during inflation. It was usually commodities. I put up on Twitter today, you know, the GLD is outperforming the S&P for the last up, you know, for the last three months, we're hitting three to four month relative strength highs in it. But, you know, you're looking at the chart, you would never go, this is a chart I want to buy because it's still in a, you know, clear, absolute drought downtrend. So, you know, when I see things like that, it, it just tells me that, you know, people are going into cash and sitting there. And I think that's right now the best area is sit in cash. You know, my concerns about, you know, the dollar here, George, you had discussed the dollar. I mean, the dollar actually closed very weak today. Um, you know, we obviously no one's buying free risk bonds anymore. And I use your term that you coined, George, on that free risk, because, you know, until we, we stabilize bonds or at least get get someone to buy them, I, I don't see that the market's going to, you know, make a, a, a move higher. And I don't I don't think that's helpful for the market overall. Um, I think, you know, so many have been burned on, you know, the drawdowns within the long bonds that no one wants to touch them anymore. And, you know, bottoming processes, they, they take time. They take, you know, months to years. And most likely when we come out of this, there's going to be a lot fewer stocks listed in, you know, every index. Um, I think a lot go by the wayside, just like they did after the 2000 financial crisis where, you know, they were, they were running on the mojo from the Fed. And I, I think that's running out. So, Dave, um, you mentioned before about um, things like GLD and staples, and they're outperforming. So on a relative basis, they're relative longs, but they're not in an absolute sense anything you'd want to own outright. Can you find much of anything in the market that on an outright absolute basis looks attractive to you? Not outright. I'm, you know, I was favorable the energy shipping stocks. I mean, you know, what's interesting is, you know, the Fed is doing everything they can to curb demand. And, you know, if I look at the XLE and, you know, I'm a long term bull on energy and, you know, I cut cut my cut out of it, you know, when we came through the 93 level, um, which I've said on previous calls, um, you know, the interesting thing on, you know, looking at the XLE in terms of a relative strength basis is it actually has ascending reactions, which, you know, it made its low on, on a relative basis versus the S&P in August. And it's moving up. And, you know, so it, a lot of my clients are, are long only. So, you know, I have to find the safest, safest place that you're still going to lose money in a bear market like this. Um, you know, I, I see that the, you know, energy still to me is, is the wild card. And we're doing everything to crush demand instead of increase supply. And I think that that is the area that when this bull, bear market is over, I think that's the place that's really going to take off. Yeah, no, I, I share your view. I, I just whether it's the big picture, top down view, uh, which is decidedly negative or more simply, don't think about it. Just trade what you see, not what you think. And I just go through after chart after chart after chart and just cover the names up. I'm sure you go through this, Dave, yourself. It's like a Rorschach. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you put you put you, 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 the, the purest way to do it 
is you, t- you have two piles, so three piles. You have the good pile, the bad pile, and the two hard pile. And the best way to figure out whether the market's going up or down is, is you know, just a summation of those observations. And I, I go through the exercise now. And, oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> the, the scales are completely tilted in one way. It ain't the positive way. Is that, is that your take on things as well? Yeah, absolute charts. You know, even Home Depot is near a 12-month relative strength high. But if I looked at that chart, all I can do is say, here's a support level. And it's a very small support level in, in terms of the long-term chart. So, you know, you're still in a confined downtrend. You're not, you're not going to lose as much money owning it, but you're going to lose money. You know, that's, that's the <laughs> message. You know, it, it just, it, it's, it's not an attractive risk reward scenario. Yeah. You know, right. yeah, Hey, one other thing, you know, like, Usually when a hurricane comes over, something like, you know, Generac, you know, makes generators. Usually they go up. You pull up the Generac chart, you would think that, you know, that no one's ever going to buy a generator again because it's not a solar panel. I mean, that's the type of environment we're in. Thanks, Dave. Uh, before we get yeah. to AFED, just to remind everyone, um, Dave Nikoski is a proprietor of Vermillion Research, does tremendous work, focuses a lot on relative strength. Um, I suggest everyone follow him and um, you know, give him a call, maybe give you a free trial. I have no commercial relationship with Dave, but um, does excellent work. And then uh, he's probably one of the most underfollowed, uh, high-value guys out there. And so we got to get his Twitter following up. And uh, I, I think it's definitely worth, worth having a look at his service. And then Tom, Tommy is no, no stranger in this room. Tom Thornton, Hedge Fund Telemetry, um, also a tremendous product. Um, and so... Tommy runs uh, some discounted specials from time to time. So have a look at Hedge Fund Telemetry as well. Uh, before we go to KFAB, I see, uh, and maybe KFAB, you can touch on this. I see we have uh, some of our friends from across the pond um, with us today. Uh, Michael Howell, Shrub, Ian Harnett, just to mention uh, three that are in the high rows that I can see. It's a very big room. Uh, we're uh, over 1,300. So one of the things, KFAB, I do want to discuss, and if you don't want to discuss, that's fine, but I would like um, some of the uh, uh, folks I just mentioned, whether it's Michael Howell, Ian Harnett, or Shrub, I do want to touch on the UK. Since we had our last room on Thursday, uh, we had an about face uh, on, um, on, the, on, on the UK's uh, position, uh, the QE, uh, reversing QT, going for QE. And the significance of that and what it, how instructive it is for the rest of the world. So, KFAB, I always love listening to you to speak. Everyone needs to follow KFAB. It writes brilliantly. Again, very understated. KFAB, it's always a pleasure to hear you. So, have at it. Talk about whatever you want, KFAB. Hey, George, thanks. Well, first, uh, I want to echo Tommy and congratulate you on the launch of NOPE. And uh, you've set a high bar. If you annualize your alpha today, it's 500% a year. So, no pressure. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not. The market's closed. So I can talk about it. So you know, we started off we were completely in cash, and I'm like, "What do we do?" And like, I don't want to short it in the hole. And I'm reading Tommy's stuff. Don't short it. Don't short it. So yeah, I'm looking at the oversold indicators, and I'm like, I can't stand missing a good party though. Like you know, the pole place is burning down. And I got cash, and so um, my, 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 one of my colleagues said, "No, it's exactly what you said, KFAB." He goes, "Talk about you are an alpha generating machine. If you just hold cash." You beat the market by 300 basis points today. So you're, thank you, KFM, for that. So floor is yours, KFM. Yeah, so I, I just, um, I'm, I'm, and I think in probability distributions, so that's, let me preface it by that. 
Um, I think things are far more ominous, including near term. Um, I actually wrote something this morning, and I, I, I'm curious to get Tommy's input on this because he's far more of a DeMarc expert than I am. But I was revisiting, revisiting Jason Pearl's writing this morning. Um, and I, I think there's a pretty good case for an acceleration blown 13 setup. Uh, and I, I'm not going to get into the weeds of DeMarc, but um, to, my work tells me that, and my models and processes that I go through tell me that this is actually accelerating and scaling um, to longer term cycle dynamics. So uh, when, when that happens, I typically look at stuff on a weekly and monthly timeframe, kind of like uh, Mr. Belkin does, only, you know, totally different process, but um, it's the same kind of idea of, of scaling things from short to intermediate and long term as he does. And um, a lot of the stuff there is still very early in, in um, you know, a, a cycle dynamic, meaning that obviously we haven't even cracked the June lows yet. And revisiting that kind of low is pretty normal in a bear market that you get a one to two week kind of battle that goes on around the, the prior low. And that's certainly what we've had so far. I think we're about five days into this. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a lot more worried that we, we won't get, and, and again, back to Pearl's work, my question for Tommy is we haven't even had a price flip yet on the daily timeframe. Um, and and I, I think there was a combo 13 already, and we, we might've qualified our risk level off of that combo 13. So again, that that's my concern is that this is almost like an acceleration um, setup and a, like a waterfall setup. Um, the other thing that kind of accompanies with that is the relentless amount of put selling that's going on. And I, I said it, they're, they're maniacs like it, it, every with expiries now three, four days a week. I mean, the, just the constant rolling of selling put premium, um, you know, with what SKU is doing, it, it, it's just nuts. Like it, it's there's a there's a gamma wall laying just below the market that if it does crack. Right. So the conditions are there. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. What I'm saying is the market's prices, if it's still a point zero 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 one probability, and I think it's exponentially higher than that. It's still not the likely outcome, but it's way, way higher than normal. And to your point on the UK, George, what, what happened in the UK this week is a detonation of a decade of financial repression. That's how I view it. It's, it's, uh, it, it's the echo to what happened at AIMCO, which is a Canadian pension fund in March of 2020 with their variant swaps. All of these institutional investors have been leveraging up because of low interest rates for a decade. And all of these structures are in the midst of blowing up. And all these dead bodies are going to start floating to the surface with this, you know, volatility spiking, uh, rolling across different markets. Um, so to me, because of that, I, I think trying to catch counter trend bounces in this environment is very unwise. I'm not saying, get to your point, George, not saying short, um, leave that to the people that are crazy enough to try it. Um, but you know, the idea of trying to catch bounces here, I think the, the, the risk is so asymmetric. Um, it, it's just really dangerous. So Tommy, I don't know if you want to respond to any of KFAB's questions or observations about the mark. Okay. Well, you're, you're right. There is, you know, there's always risk of a DeMarc indicator not working properly. Uh, that is something that happens, yes, in persistent trends, and it's possible that that could happen again. There, 
uh, not to get too technical with De DeMarc, but there is the chance that uh, the current sequential, which is on day 11 of 13, uh, could uh, could fail. And that, I, I think we're most, we're going to have that, we're probably going to get it next week. Uh, and then there's the risk of recycling where you get another sequential countdown. And as much as that sounds like, wait a minute, you had that happen a lot um, on the upside in recent years where you would have short-lived pullbacks and then, uh, or a stall, uh, a pause, and then uh, the trend would continue. Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's possible. Uh, one of the things that I'm also looking at, and I, I'm a power in numbers person, is that I'm looking at within the S&P, uh, the amount of individual stocks that are hitting uh, countdown 13s, and they're really starting to pile up. And the opposite happened last December uh, on the sell countdowns. So you had sell signals that were persistent in December uh, that worked out. And the other thing that's starting to occur, uh, not necessarily on the index level, but within individual stocks, is you're starting to see weekly exhaustion signals, 13 start to trigger. And that's more of an intermediate term, which I'd say is, is positive. And we also had that happen back late last year. So there is the potential for, you know, further downside. I mean, I can, I have a couple different targets in the, you know, 3,400 to 3,100, depending on the weekly or daily time frame, that could possibly happen. I just, I'm weighing the evidence. I'm looking at a lot of the internals that when all these things start to migrate together, uh, then uh, the odds, in my opinion, for the signals working uh, increase. But, you know, certainly, I, I and I know, I mean, just truth be told, I know that Tom DeMarc uh, has been, and his team have been looking at uh, the uh, recycle uh, potential uh, that, that that they could uh, continue a little lower. Uh, but I, I, I tend to look at it, and I was instructed by the DeMarc people way back when, when I learned about it, is that all 13s matter and you have to just respect that and see how it what happens after that um, after you get a 13 the rule of thumb is between 10 and 12 days or bars if it's a week weekly bar or a 60 minute bar within that time period you should see a price reversal uh, and we we did have 13s back in in certain times uh, this year we had them in june we had them in May, uh, some in March. So the odds of these working now, I still think they can. But if, it, if they don't work, you know, we adjust. And one of the things about DeMarc indicators is when you use these exhaustion signals, um, which most people don't have on their screens, I, you know, I see it. I understand where uh, an exhaustion can happen if it, I mean, when you don't see it, it looks like the bottom's falling out. But when I have these signals, I can, with some confidence, um, do a counter trend trade. Uh, and if I'm wrong within that 10 to 12 bar period, or if a risk level breaks or something, uh, I can I can get out of the trade 
um, relatively unscathed most of the time. Thanks, Tommy. Much appreciated. Right, let's keep it moving. My God, look at this room. It's just, you know, I, I want to thank everyone in this room. This is just extraordinary. We decided to do this room at three o'clock, and I, you know, and we started at four. Just look at this room. It's unbelievable. I want to thank all of you. Okay, so we're going to the other side of the pond now. Uh, we're going to do Shrub and then Ian Harnett, followed by uh, Cantro. Shrub, long time. Uh, I, got a, I got a question. Obviously, um, you and I are simply uh, uh, disposed. So maybe a word on the UK. And also the flows data. We haven't talked about it much, but I, I, I don't know if you heard my comments earlier. Looked like the retail was giving up the ghost finally. So, Shrub, good to see you. What's on your mind, my friend? Hey, George. First of all, best of luck with the Nope. You're a great guy, and I hope you do really well with it. Thanks. And for thanks for all the spaces. Okay, so go back to the UK. Can I? Before we go to the UK, let's just do one quick thing. Three months ago in the summer, you and I had a discussion where we're laughing our socks off about the U.S. Treasury being at three percent, and we were the lone voices. If you remember that conversation, we we yeah they, we, we we were laughing hysterically. We couldn't stop exactly. Yeah, right. we're like the U.S. Treasury is at three percent, and everyone was bulled up. And I was like, "Well, hold on, I just gave you a long list of the buyers: China, the banks, and the pension funds, and I just proved that none of them is able to buy." So back then, we basically said China is not going to buy treasuries; the banks are not going to buy treasuries. And we had that, uh, you know, I kind of proved based on their results that they can't buy treasuries. And the Fed is obviously not buying treasuries because they're switching to QT. So back then it was like a completely contrarian <laughs> uh, analysis that we did and we're just laughing about it. And there we are. So from 3%, we're now at 4%. And now we're in a very different market because when we were, you know, laughing and worrying about the credit market Eight months ago, we're here now. <laughs> we're here now in a big way. And I still think that 95% of the people don't realize that yesterday we nearly had a Bear Stearns moment, which is ridiculous. So, you know, I've been covering, like, I was mega short UK banks in 08. So I know the UK financial system somehow. Yesterday, what happened? I figured it out from the Financial Times article. Like we were all kind of like, we couldn't believe that it was that bad. So what happened yesterday was the UK pension system, which is only like a few trillion dollars, so who cares? It's like two Teslas, I said. It's only two Teslas. So they were about to go under. So BlackRock was about to stop trading UK gilts. Not like a not like a SPAC. They weren't going to stop trading a Chamath SPAC. They were going to stop trading UK gilts yesterday. And if you're wondering why, it's because the UK government issued 50-year bonds in February. And by last week, those 50-year bonds went from 100 cents on the dollar to 30 cents on the dollar. <laughs> that's, like, that's like worse than a Chamath SPAC. Hey, hey, <laughs> Rub, rub. <laughs> only because I know you're being real. I almost want to ask you: Have you been drinking? Like you're making. I have been drinking. Yeah, I have actually. Because it's ten thirty, I'm super short Tesla, and I'm very happy. 
<laughs> and it's the first drink I've had in two weeks. And it's been a pretty tiring month. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm in a merry, I'm in a merry mood about this. But I'm also quite depressed because yesterday was the, you know, it, it gave me back like glimpses of 08 where you're kind of worried about the stability of the system. Now, that's the bearish part. You know, the bearish part was that the system was about to blow up. Um, and it was about to blow up because of two completely idiotic policymakers. Now, the positive side is that there's still some serious people in the UK and they arrested that downside pretty quickly. But how did they do it? By doing like kind of like a covert QE the moment they were saying they were going to do QT. So we basically flipped from a QT tightening to a QE and let's just plug uh, the holes in the system. So it was a very, very bearish day and I just couldn't believe the market was rallying on that. So I was just selling whatever, <laughs> whatever I could in reality. Um, but having said that, it gives you a glimpse of what will happen in the rest of the world. So I think the takeaway it goes back to a conversation from six months ago. You cannot have the US Treasury at 3% with no buyers and the government going QT mode and bringing up at 4%. So the UK gave a glimpse to all the QT, I think. This is my just my personal opinion. I think the UK gave a glimpse to everyone who's doing QT that, guys, you can't print money, go fiscal, you know, go loosen the fiscal side and expect that you'll be able to do QT because I don't think anyone, anyone's going to be able to do QT. So I think the pivot that everyone's excited about a stupid pivot, like the pivot, the pivot, the pivot. There's bloody idiots that talk about the pivot. They've lost like 20% of their money already, 50%, whatever. So the pivot is going to be where the QT uh, is covertly put under the rug. And the Fed is not going to do that because the Fed is actually in a pretty sweet spot. So we're probably like, you know, six to 12 months away from the Fed. But obviously, we've seen the BOV panic. We've seen the BOJ panic. We've seen the PBOC panic. So we've, we've already seen like four central banks panic. So I'm only going to get constructive when I see the Fed panic. So we're starting to see the, 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 the weakest actors uh, panicking. And the bearish thing about going back to the pension fund uh, situation, the bearish thing about it is that it's something that no one was talking about for the last few years. It's something we all took for granted that is going to be fine. And it just happened. So that, that reminds me again of 08 where you had the mismatch of assets and liabilities and duration mismatches and all that stuff, all that stuff that blows up systems. So this is exactly what happened. And the, the bearish thing about it is that there's going to be so many skeletons that are going to start coming out now because the rate increases were so fast. So that's when, that's when you start seeing the skeletons coming out. Now, on the positive side, because I want to give something positive, uh, like six months ago, we said that the U.S. 10-year 3% was the wrong risk reward. I kind of feel like the U.S. 2-year at 4.3% is actually a great risk reward for once. So what I have done is I'm starting to park money to make like 
4.3%. I'm kind of okay with that in US dollars. Um, so I think, uh, you know, there are some things to do, but not much. Like, you know, I'm like 30% invested and I'm like 30% long, 15% short. Um, but, you know, the US two-year up here is actually quite a good opportunity. Um, and I'm not going to comment about, you know, the short-term balance is very possible. Uh, but I'm just, you know, thinking big picture. We're basically, uh, yesterday was an emperor has no clothes event for me, for the central banks. It was really an emperor has no clothes event. It was very scary. The fact that they stopped, the fact that it was solved very quickly was a positive, but it was still scary that we were at that point. And there's more to come. And, you know, the eventual uh, end game will be currency devaluation. That's why everyone has to be a bit sanguine about um, these events. Shrub, uh, it's a real, uh, a real great explanation. I, I, what echoes uh, with me and what I was thinking before, and you said it, it's not just the extent of the moves, it's the speed of the moves. The speed of the moves combined with the leverage. It, it's, it's virtually guaranteed someone gets caught. It'd be almost inconceivable that someone doesn't get caught. And it's the speed of the moves. And, you know, we can sit around and try to figure out who it is, but it's not important and won't be able to. As you said, you know, no one thought it was going to be UK pensions. Um, and so, yeah, there's going to be a lot more where this came from. And then when you think about the speed of the moves, not just in the context of who gets caught offsides from a financial perspective, but shrub, um, talk dirty to me, talk, talk bearish to me, talk to me a little bit about the delayed response, the ripple effect of the, uh, the impact of rising interest rates on a real economy, like housing, auto sales. I mean, it's well, sort of like, you know, they just, put, they, they just put the needle into the patient. It's going to take a while for that to flick, to trickle through. So, What's your view? Uh, sort of, we talk about financial markets. That's fine, but what's your view on the uh, on the economies going forward, Shrub? I mean, on the on the UK side. So the UK is the most sensitive. I think I've analyzed this before, but it's worth mentioning again. So the electricity impact would have been about ten percent of a UK household disposable income. So that's that, you know that's real money. That's why the government had to step in. So the market actually forgave the government for giving energy subsidies. And they're doing the same thing in Germany, by the way. So that's fine. But in the UK, when everyone is on a variable mortgage rate, you're talking about your mortgage going from, you know, 2% to 6%. So the impact is very significant for a UK consumer because they're on variables. So the in France, it's very different because they have 30-year fixed like in, uh, like in the U.S., so the consumer in France, I, when I did the numbers, it's like, say it's 5%, 10% worse off. But in the UK, it's 20 plus. So there you're going to have a serious impact. But it takes a while to change behavior. And I think that's why if I was going to say one thing uh, that people really underestimated in this whole thing they always you know the market because it's run by young guys and uh, you know they saw the v-shape uh, move in 2020 they think that everything is like fast like financial markets but in reality you have to think that the real economy moves slower than that and i think where people don't realize is that we could have higher for longer right so why are we saying that 
rates are going to go to 4% and they're going to go to 2%. Well, why, why wouldn't they just stay at 4% for two years? So I think that's what, that's what the central banks are trying to instill on people just to change their behavior and bring consumption down. Uh, by the way, <clears throat> just anecdotally, so right now I was at the Monaco Yacht Show. So that's obviously a very glitzy event. Um, the hotel room rates are up three times since last year. So obviously, the, behave, the behavior of the rich is still full-on bull market, huh? And I've been told it's one of the busiest uh, yacht shows they've had. So there's nothing like a slowdown on the top end. It's the bottom end that's going to suffer. That's why the pitchforks are going to come out. But let me just make one point that you will actually really love because since we're on the bear porn uh, uh, phase of the discussion. So what I think is happening now, the, the moves on Tesla, Apple, all these things, it's again a discussion we've had in the past that these generals will be used as the ATMs for the European pension funds. So imagine you're a UK pension fund and you've been buying Apple, Tesla and all these things and suddenly you get a margin call. What are you going to sell? You're not gonna sell your you're gonna you're gonna sell your UK stuff at the last uh, last, but you're gonna you're gonna get out of Apple and Tesla to get liquidity. So we're at that phase of the market. So I think what we're seeing now is a cascading liquidation by European funds. Like you know, Bailey Gifford is a very big shareholder of Tesla. So I think we're seeing that part because you know, look at the market today. The sterling was up 1.7 and the euro was up 70 bips and Apple was down X percent and Tesla was down 7%. So I think it's kind of a case of institutions selling US to repatriate to Europe. So already you're seeing this uh, defensive uh, moves from pension funds, uh, which are preparing for, you know, redemptions or whatever they're preparing for, you know, just uh, margin calls. Um, so that, that's that on the generals. That's why I think the generals are still going to get shot badly um, out of this. But, okay. you know, on the... Yeah. Go ahead. So, so I was just going to say, you know, that you and I are old enough to know they talk about the generals, you know, general, you know, general electric, general motors, whatever. When I hear the, the, the name Tesla mentioned in the context, same sentence as the generals, like... I want to throw up. It's like, what does the world come to? I'm sorry, but I, but I, but I know what you're talking about. It's it's just it's just a sad commentary on on what the world's come to. Um, so, um, Shrub, I interrupted you. You were going to say something else. I think. No, no. I mean, on the the economy side, you know, I I think people exaggerate a bit the situation in in Europe on the energy side because we haven't had the impact yet, um, but it will be very bad. The only difference is that the consumer is actually better subsidized and less levered than the U.S. consumer. So, you know, there is uncertainty, but we're not really seeing it on the streets because it's kind of cushioned by, by the subsidies. So that's why you're seeing the currency taking all the heat. Like the U.K., for example, is actually doing, you know, pretty well. If, if you go to London, it's actually doing pretty well. You know, everything is full. <laughs> but, but you're seeing the dis you're seeing the wealth effect, you know, you're seeing the class divide widening. So you're basically seeing exactly all the shit that QT did, QE did, just widening. So that's why we're in this very, very bad situation in the UK specifically, because, you know, the mortgage rates going up, the electricity price going up, it's affecting the lower uh, middle class. 
uh, and the middle class. So that's why, you know, you will have this social unrest uh, building up. Thanks for that, Shrub. Uh, please stay there. Um, we're always much appreciative and, and love your insights. Just, just FYI, I have 2% yep. battery and I'm walking home. So if I drop All out, right. it's not my fault. <laughs> All right. If, you, if you're running out, you can you get back in. You can you can, uh, you can charge and rejoin us. I'd like to stay with uh, commentary on things UK and Europe. And um, one of the sharpest cookies in the room, Mr. Ian Harnett, who's graced us with his presence just the other day. It was uh, extraordinary. Uh, listening to you, Ian, I'm glad you're back. Uh, I know the hour is getting late there, but uh, Ian, you've been um, on the right side of markets, um, uncharacteristically bearish. And, <laughs> Thank you. you. No, no, and as I've described you as being a very normal, well-balanced, pleasant human being, and when you get in a bear mood like this, it's significant disinformation content in that. So, Ian, um, you know things are happening very quickly. I believe yeah. it was last Friday we were in the room and we were talking with. Uh, uh, Michael Howell uh, about the UK. And so maybe kind of update us on, on what's going on. I mean, you know, every day it's something new. So maybe maybe pick up where Shrub left off, starting with the UK. So Ian, the floor is yours. So, you know, let's, um, you know, the comments from both Kay and Shrub were, were, were spot on. You know, what we think we're seeing is that unwinding of 10 years of inappropriate monetary policy. Uh, or overly loose monetary policy and the structures that have been built up during that time. What we've seen most recently um, is the um, the pressure uh, starting to unwind, and and we're seeing you know who's been swimming naked um, and the structures that have been created that are inappropriate. Yesterday, what happened was that financial stability trumped inflation stability, George. Um, and that's critically important. You know, QE at a time when UK inflation is running at 10%. So, you know, it is clear that it was the Financial Policy Committee. It was not the Monetary Policy Committee. The members who aren't on the Financial Policy Committee were informed that the decision had been taken to bail out the guilt market. Um, you know, this was a systemic risk event. Uh, and don't doubt that at all. So it, it's absolutely true. Um, it seems as though we were, as we were in 2008, you know, we were, um, you know, hours away from winding up significant institutions. And George, you mentioned the pace of this. So let me give you some numbers that at the beginning of the year, the UK gilts market was worth about $1.9 trillion dollars. As of close yesterday, it was $1.3 trillion. You know, within that, the over 15 years uh, uh, segment of the gilt market has lost $473 billion that, uh, since the start of the year. And in the last 12 months, at the close of business before they intervened, it was down 48%. But Ian, one- Ian, stop, Ian, stop, Ian, stop. If you told me Kathy Wood was down 48% or Tesla's down 48%, okay, we're talking about gilts. Or for us, Absolutely. for us Americans over here, those are known as bonds. Like, yeah. how the hell did that happen? Well, this is, this is the question because not only is that the, you know, uh, on a one month view, you were down uh, 28%. And on a one week view, just in case anybody thinks it was not about, the UK budget, after the budget, you lost 19%. And 
in a week. And this is the, the real impact here, George, for everybody to recognize is that these are your risk-free assets. You've just lost 48% in a year, 19% in a week, in a risk-free asset that since 1977, you know, you'd only seen a loss basically once or twice beyond 5% in a week. You know, it was three times the size of the monthly move that you've seen since 1977 um, in, in the last month. So the real issue here is that investors will have to re-examine what the risk-free rate is now. Bonds have been destroyed as a risk-free instrument in the United Kingdom. Uh, and that's the real challenge that is being faced. You know, now, the problem that we've got is that whilst, as Shrub was highlighting, this was about the pension funds, they are not going to be the only people that have had this collateral destroyed. And remember, George, you've seen so many financial crises. You know, what happens? It is always about the destruction of collateral that is at the heart of any financial crisis. So who else has been using, um, you know, these, the, these long-dated instruments as collateral? And of course, you're going to come back to the banks. So there's, you know, we, we always said the initial phases of, these of the next crisis would be non-bank financials. And, you know, it's, it's started, you know, remember that we've seen in the U.S., you know, consumer lending companies are already down 60% year on year. We are now seeing the pension funds being hit, but then it will end its, its way into the housing markets and then into the banks as well. And yesterday, you know, at the close of business yesterday, the, the CDSs, so the credit default swaps, the risk of default in the banks in both Europe and the U.S., were starting to rise. So the interesting question is, why do the Fed start worrying about this? Why do the Fed start intervening? Because they are worried about this, um, uh, the, this uh, spreading into the banking sector. The other implication of the Bank of England going in to stabilise uh, at this level of inflation is that they effectively, by holding the yields down, at the time when inflation is still high, they reduced the real interest rate. Real interest rate differentials drive currencies. They basically said, Sterling, goodbye. We're not going to support you here. We're going to stabilize the gilt market and we're going to take the pain in the exchange rate. So, you know, today, you know, the, the, the brief rally that we've had in Sterling, you know, I think that's that's going to be a head fake. I love, love the uh, argument by Shrub. Um, the scale of the crisis is enough that the, the debt management office said they're not going to sell gilts. You know, you know, there is a, um, you know, the, 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 the stabilization process here is really going into uh, overdrive. They say it's going to last for two weeks, but it will carry on until they need it to. And there's still another $400 billion uh, sterling's worth of, of, of over 15-year debt that I think a lot of people will be offloading quite quickly. And so I think the Bank of England could be on the hook for a lot of num uh, big number here. Ian, um, in the decades we've known each other, um, this is one of the most extraordinary set of circumstances I've heard you describe. And um, it, it really is numbing. And yeah. without making light of it, I mean, your career, I mean, seriously, this is, this is, this is really big stuff. Um, okay. And maybe the UK is a more extreme version of, um, situation elsewhere, but 
What What's the takeaway for you more broadly? Uh, what's the information content and what's going on? As you think about the problems that exist in other countries around the globe. Yeah. And, 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 and if we're going to continue on this path of QT at a time when maybe um, there'll be some more fiscal stimulus, you know, bailouts here and there for political reasons. How does that impress upon you? How does that inform you about well, the, the bottom? The bottom line, George, is this is not a local issue. This is a global issue. Um, I think this is the most severe systemic risk that we have had. You know, we're seeing playing out. I think that the global systemic crisis is already started. You know, we're seeing it work its way through smaller emerging market debt. You know, we've now seen, you know, some of these consumer lending companies, you know, challenged. We've seen some of the mortgage originators in the States challenged. We've seen, you know, so this we're seeing this sequential blow up. You know, the Danish 30-year bond is down 46% this year as well. And yet Danish banks have hardly come down. Danish insurers have hardly come down. Um, and yet, you know, we know that a lot of the, the Scandinavian mortgage market is, is involved there. We're going to see a lot more of these um, dominoes uh, come down, I would be my, my view. And I do think QT is to blame. You know, Michael Howell has spent a lot of time explaining to people about the liquidity effect. We've got lots of liquidity indicators as well. But why is it that it has all been about the rise in real yields? So far this year, inflation swaps across the whole curve in America have come down. All of the rise has been in real yields. That is about a shortage of capital, which means when there isn't much of a demand for capital, that actually it's about the withdrawal of capital by central banks that's taking place here, the withdrawal of capital by, uh, by various actors. So I think the, the QT has a, a, an important role to play here. Um, and what we're seeing effectively today, George, is we're seeing the limits of how far real yields can rise and how much QT can be done without the financial institutional structures that have been built up over the last decade blowing apart in a very, very violent manner. So I think they're going to have to reverse on QT. Um, and I'd agree with the previous speakers that that will happen before you see any kind of pivot. And a point we've made to people, and I've put a couple of charts up uh, on Twitter before, the Fed is only going to pivot when there's a financial crisis. You know, when somebody big in America blows up, that's the point that you'll be seeing this uh, issue. If you want my last tip on uh, on who who is the least expected and might be the most likely uh, you know casualty here, you know France has built up its debt levels very aggressively in the last few years. We know it, Italy has a lot of debt. Very few people realise how much debt has been built up in France, and the French banks are very heavily um, involved in the derivatives game. So, um, you know, for me, uh, I, I think you know, a risk around French financials is, is where I'd be looking for, the, for, for a big surprise that might cause the ECB to change their, uh, their tack, for example. Ian, that's a chilling, but I believe I fear a very realistic assessment of the situation. For those that don't know Ian, um, you know, he's, he's, he's normally not like this. He's a quite uh, pleasant well-adjusted individual. <laughs> you I'm, keep I'm, on saying I'm well-adjusted, George. That's really scary. Unlike, unlike yours, truly, he's not prone to hyperbole. 
Um, he works for uh, he's he's co-founder of Absolute Strategy um, in London, ASR. Um, they have a New York office as well. And if you're interested in getting their research, you should uh, reach out to Ian uh, or uh, Rob DeLuca, who's a salesperson in New York. Fabulous, Ian. Thank you for that contribution. I'm sure you have Thanks, some. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for inviting me. Sure, you'll have some more of their questions. I know it's late hour, so. Drop off as you must, but I'm sure we'll have some more questions to follow up. Okay, I'd like now to go to uh, Mark Newman, and then we're going to go to Javier. Mark, welcome. What's on your What's on your mind, my friend? Hey guys, how are you? So I, I after hearing Ian, I wanted to just sort of take a half a step back and talk about how we got here a little bit in my view of the things. So George, when we were in Japan, when I hey Mark, 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 I'm sorry. I think you're dri- Mark. You're driving. I think we always. Um, well, I always talk about how Japan really... had these. I'll come to it. Let me come back. Give me a minute. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Come on, come on back. That's great. Okay. Um, let's turn to um, the smartest guy in the room when it comes to energy. Uh, he's usually uh, we're very uh, privileged to have him here because uh, he's a busy guy and he snoops in and out of these rooms. But I'm glad he's up on stage. My friend Javier, uh, good to see you. Um, Thank you. Obviously, a lot's been going on in the world of energy. Um, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes, and so uh, you rightfully, I want to, I want to, I'm not trying to, you know, blow smoke up your backside, but you called it. Uh, you warned a few months ago. Watch out for energy. You were consistently out, outspoken, concerned about what you were seeing in markets, demand uh, waning. So uh, maybe you could update us on um, what's going on in the energy market and what's top of mind from where you sit. So, Javier, the floor is yours. Please unmute yourself. Um, listen. First and foremost, uh, I was very pleasantly surprised today to type nope into my Bloomberg and see a security that has some action on it today. I'm really looking forward to it, George. I sent you a note. Uh, I'm pulling for you. I know a lot of people are. Listen, there's a lot of people in this room who don't know you. It may be their first time in here. I know a lot of people that follow me. Uh, they're simple people, right? I mean, they're, 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 they're ranchers and they're farmers and they are – average goes right um and for those of you not listening you know george has been outspoken for a year and and george i I remember distinctly many conversations that we've had over the last year publicly in which after the conversation you would be either criticized or um you know this guy doesn't know what he's talking about he's bearish and he's, he's macro 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 and george my hat's off to you because um you're you're gonna you're 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 going to put your money where your mouth is. And I think it's going to be a boon to people to see the product you put out. Um, I'm excited for it. I, I you know, I, I'm in, so um, I'm excited for it. That's the first thing. The second thing is, um, like I said, you know, I'm a simple guy, George. I, I When I listen to the Michaels, you know, Michael Howe, uh, uh, Mike Green, and and Michael Quo and, and Ian, I, I listen to these guys articulate very complex financial things. And many times, you know, when they're talking, there's a lot of people listening that are probably Googling stuff and trying to understand it. Well, I'm, I'm part of that crowd, right? I'm not, I'm not that smart. I, 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 I'm all effort and, and not real, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no genius, all right? And, and I'm listening to Trump talk, and I'm laughing while I'm driving because everything that we're talking about here, pension, you know, UK pension blowing up, no one has. No one had it. No, not one person anywhere said this is going to be the first. And 
and it, it reminded me when Shrub was talking that we're talking about Lake Mead right here, right? We're draining Lake Mead, and dead bodies are popping up, George. And everyone looks around and says, I didn't even know this guy was gone. I didn't know he was dead. And it's, I'm laughing at this because this was not hard. You, you, you can't do what we did. Trillion into the global liquidity market. You can't drain Lake Mead and not find boots and cars and dead bodies. It doesn't work. And so, you know, here we are. And, and, you know, we're talking about the UK. And I said this yesterday. And, and this is simplifies it for people. This is a simple term. The Bank of England has put, they, they have put their hair into a mullet. I'm saying, Javier, um, hey, Tommy, can you hear Javier or do you disappear? I, I can't hear him. I can't hear him. No. He's, he's gone. He's gone. Wait for him to come back. Okay. Um, let's go to Bobby J. Um, I don't know if Newman's back yet. Let's go to Bobby J. I'm here, George Winable. All right. So, Mark, just hold fire for a second. Bobby J, are you there? All right. Mark, you, you have that. And Bobby J. Hey, thanks. So I, I wanted to circle back. As I was saying, I was I was in the middle of driving. You were right, George. Um, when we were in Japan, when I was in Japan, you know, I always used to make a little joke about the keys to the vault of the Bank of Japan and how it was passed around between Daiwa and Sumitomo and Fuji and Sakura Bank, sort of take what you want, pass the keys. And then, you know, as we've evolved here in the, the, the emergence of bubbles, you know, we had the tech bubble, we had a re real estate bubble, we had a credit bubble. And now we have the sovereign bubble. And that's kind of where we are now. And it has really, it's on the supranational level. And as uh, Shrub pointed out, you know, and I had actually Japan first, but it looks like it was the UK first. Um, you know, the, the, the panic button gets hit when one of the next biggest dominoes or a big domino is about to go down. And I think that's kind of where we are now. And to hear... Um, Ian talk about it, that move in the gilts, 1.9 trillion, 1.3 trillion, that's a monster move for sovereign paper. So we are at that point. And uh, I don't want to um, sort of, uh, you know, I was, you know, Shrub made some amazing points that just got me thinking to sort of where the UK is trading like uh, an emerging market almost on some level. And now we're at that point where, uh, you know, circling back to the US market. And the things, the way things are trading here, yeah, Apple is one of the last big boys still standing. And like uh, Shrub said, it's a source of got to be because, you know, when you look at Apple, it's still out uh, year to date above the spoos by a little. I don't have my, my computer open in front of me. And it's still in front of the queues by oh, at least a thousand basis points, I think. So you look at Amazon, Google, Microsoft, they're down as much as the queues, maybe, you know, more give or take. But Amazon, uh, sorry, Apple's still standing. So that's kind of where we are. And then the other thing, you know, when they raid that the house of ill repute, even the piano player goes to jail, there's not many places to hide. And George, you've asked this question to some smart folks here. What are you bullish on? What could you buy here? And even the, the chicken longs, as, as Mr. Belkin likes to call them, whether it's utilities or defense, they are not holding up here now. And so we're in a part, we're a part of, the, of the U.S. market feeling the pressure globally where things are everything not nailed down is being sold. And I want to just make one last, you know, observation. You know, I, I think some people may know of my, my, my ESG position here and the orphans and whatever they had held up very well relative to a lot of things over before the last couple of weeks. 
and now they're getting hit. And like my only position here is I'm long that stuff and I'm short the cues and I'm short some other things, sort of a pairs trade, and it's all sort of going down. Now my my orphans might be going down a little less, but that's where we are here. And uh, I think KFAB talked about it earlier. There's a lot of downside air pockets that we need to be cautious of. And Tommy talked about the sort of potential sequence 13 busts. We are at a really tightly correlated everything moment here. And I don't know, you know, like we saw with the UK and the panic and the safe, the like safe safety valve, how close are we for something like that everywhere else? And I think that to me is the big elephant in the room. And as, as my, Ian Hartnett said, it comes down to collateral. Who's got what to pay for what? And I think we really got to pay attention here because we're at a moment where things could get hairy uh, and, you know, they could pull the, they could pull the safety chute pretty quickly. That's, that's kind of what I'm looking for and expecting here. And, uh, you know, the, the, the room here has been really spot on with a lot of amazingly interesting observations that everyone should just really uh, have a deep think on. That, that's what I got. Thanks for that, Mark. I mean, I want to be a little bit careful what I say because I got a lot of grief from people and too much of a perma bay or doomster or whatever. But, um, you know, I've been at this 40 years. I've seen cycles as pattern recognition. Uh, you and I, Mark, uh, went through the wars in Japan. And as we've said in this room uh, many times, we discussed it earlier again, that markets only really crash from oversold conditions. And calling it crash is a fool's errand. Um, so, you know, engenders fear and it's, it's a low probability event, but it's setups like this, most likely when it's going to occur. And I just sit back, Mark, and I look at it and assuming you weren't in the market, you know, Mark, like you're not long, you're not short, just common sense, right? And you're just reading what's going on. And there's like all this, there's just so many problems popping up here and there. And unlike those who defend the market, they say, well, it's already discounted. No, it's not discounted. Markets are not discounting things. They're reacting. You know, Putin comes out of left field, and then, you know, whoever thought UK guilts were going to blow up, okay? Or it's just one thing after another. And if you came down from planet Mars and someone said to you, hey, you got this, that, this, and that, and then someone says to you, hey, Mark, what's the valuation? Like, well, surely with all these problems, it must be giving stocks away. And then you look at it. And markets are still expensive all up to history. And liquidity the bathtub is draining. You'd be like, eh, you know what? I don't want any of that. I don't need that. And to me, I know this is going to sound crazy. I said it the other day, I think in one of my opening rants. I just think there's a real amount of this is complacency out there. And what I mean by that is, yeah, people are negative. But I don't think they fully comprehend what's going on here. And if they did, they'd be a lot more scared. And, you know, even for the folks in this room who I consider to have a reasonably high investment IQ, look at all the UK news. I mean, my God. And again, going back to the speed of the move and the amount of the leverage, there's going to be a lot more where that came from. So, again, I think the risk reward is just horrible. For the average person, they should be in cash. Why you'd want to own risk assets in this type of environment is beyond me. Professionals can be short if they want to. Um, I actually think all the alpha is going to be generated, all the absolute returns going to be generated on the short side. I, I just, I mean, Mark, you, you, you've been at this 30 years. I mean, 
when you just think, listen, again, I used the line the other day, Yogi Bear, please call your office. You know, predictions are difficult, particularly about the future. And so always weighing the weight of the evidence and considering the risk reward. But Mark, when you look, this is a question for you, Mark. When you look at this setup and you look at what's being priced in, the potential risks, and you think about this compared to past cycles you've seen, like, what occurs to you? Are you, you, you want to be involved here? I mean, I just think that the matter of the risk and the danger is just not being adequately discounted. What, what say you, Mark? Yeah, I, I tell you, I, I don't go to bed short, uh, not, not, I don't go to bed not short something. I just, I don't want to be caught with that big ass gap down and say, oh, I, I, I you know, I just don't want to. I've, I'd rather lose a couple points on the upside, squeezed on a position overnight, than be caught when it's down big the next day and I didn't have anything on. So I always have some sort of double levered something short on when I go to bed. That's just the way I sleep. That's the way I sleep a little better. And I want to add one thing that's a little out of left field, but it got me thinking. I listened to Doomberg's podcast recently um, on, 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 it was the last day or two. And he said something, and this is, not immediately correlated, but just in the concept of where we are. He said, some people are wondering how we're going to survive the winter. Just think about that. We live in a modern society and we're thinking there's like a potential ice age this winter based on the energy situation. Stick that in any sort of risk pipe you want to smoke and tell me what you think that means when we've already <laughs> seen, just seriously, Doomberg said, we're thinking about whether people will survive this winter. That's Ice Age talk. Like, and we're in modern times here. So, so I think that I, I just want to add that in there. Like, I thought about that today and I was like, oh my God, he just said <laughs> he's wondering how many, who, if people are going to have trouble in the winter. And it's not like a funny thing, it's more like a slap in the face thing. I don't know what to make of that. So you 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 don't you, you don't have you don't have a tab in your dividend discount model to put that in your in your, in your valuation. Uh, I get it. it's a problem. Oi, who asked you, Newman? All right, I want to go back to Javi. Javi, hopefully, hopefully you have a better connection now. Javi, are you there? No, no, yeah, I'm here, George. No, sorry, I get when I get those phone. I, every now and then, I'll get a phone call that I literally have to take and can't no send voicemail. No I'm sorry. Hey, so just real quick, because it's real simple, right? I mean, everybody knows where we are. Everybody has a good idea how we got here. I don't think it was impossible to call. I don't think my 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 old call. I don't see it as being, you know, I don't. I, I try not to have hopium either way. I just try to look at data and look at fundamentals and then look at sentiment and look at least resistance and, and make calls. And I've made wrong calls. I'm not over bearish energy today. I, I'm, 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 I'm looking at things that are a little different. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you two tales of two different things that happened uh, in the same day. And, they, and this, this is where we are. Um, they are going to put, I think it's Germany that's going to put up 150 or $200 billion in subsidies for energy bills today right and the problem with that is it's just like what, what what newman just said right what are we going to look at if it's a cold winter you know what when when does this end right we're gonna we're gonna backfill these holes that that, that arguably have been created by poor policy and 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 dec decades-long policy and liquidity issues with more subsidies fueling more of the inflationary environment that they're in all right so that's you know we're, poor policy and then the second tale of that story at my house last night i've got a very very close relative of mine who is extremely deep into tech venture and angel investing to the point where um six weeks ago 
relative of mine says, I'm going to raise another $100 million. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? It's never going to happen. Are you, after what's gone on, you're not going to raise $100 million. And sitting at my dinner table last night, he gets his last $25 million on a phone call. And I'm like, now he's like, well, I'm going to make it $200 million. When both of those scenarios reverse course, I'm going to feel like the market's done its job. It's not, you know, in, in, in a world where we're watching the things that don't matter in tech implode, when that money is so freely given after such a huge down year in Chase Coleman's of the world, when the attitude that that is going to be the next move completely reverses into want to invest in the next company that says they can build 50 nuclear plants in seven years, right? When that transition takes place and we see a mean reversion back to the, one of the main reasons we're in this problem is the lack of CapEx into the things that are going to drive everything he's talking about. It's a completely reverse psychology, George. And, and it, it's just, it was mind boggling to me last night. He's like, oh, there goes 25 million. I'm like, are you kidding me? No, $25 million. I can get more. I'm going to go to $200 million. I'm like, okay. That tells me we've, we've not, the market has not done its job, right? Here, here's the end anecdote of both of those stories. If we get the capitulation from our Fed and more central banks that the market's done its job, we have not structurally changed many of the issues that put us where we are today. We haven't fixed supply chains. People are like, oh, supply chains have opened up. If we reverse course, liquidity of the system, push a fake economy, which is ultimately what it is. It's an economy of, of things. It's not really an underbelly of industrial growth. We're back to where we were. That We have not increased spare capacity. We have not increased, uh, you know, they're working on LNG. We've not increased rare earth. We've not increased processing. We've not, we've not done the things that we need to do to be prepared for the next uptick. This becomes a resonance cycle. We are going to push the bounds both ways several times unless something breaks. I'm, a firm, I'm firmly entrenched in the camp, George, I think like you, that until this thing breaks, and, I, and, I, and, and I, look, it's over my pay grade to say how it breaks or what breaks or, or what it is, but something's going to have to break to a point where the mentality of those two different anecdotes that happen 24 times reverse course. Right. It needs to be instead of supplementing the instead of supplementing utility bills, Germany needs to be all in 100 percent devoted to energy independence instead of financing their bad policies. Right. And and my relative, without giving up who he is, should not be able to raise 100 million dollars in four days for arguably a high in the high in the sky company, which. Or never, I don't think are going to ever see the well, – I don't say ever, but not going to see the same type of evaluation metrics that, that he made money on for the last 10 years. That's my note. Okay, Javier, George. Yeah, yeah. Javier, Javier, you speak truth. You and I are – we've never met. Someday we will. I consider we're friends because we think alike. Um, it's not that I want to be in an echo chamber with you, but you speak truth. I've said the same thing different ways in the past. You probably heard me on one of my rants. And, and what I've said is blowing up these malinvestments, these SPACs, these food delivery companies with $30 billion market caps, 
dating apps, electric charging stations that will never make any money. This is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing because this will pave the way for the healing of the system. We got to get away from this misallocation of resources. And, in, you know, Javi, I think, I can't remember if you were in the room the other day. You'll correct me on this, but I think like total domestic energy capex, if I'm not mistaken, is something on the order of, I don't know, 100 billion, 200 billion, some number like that. I'm interested here in accuracy, not precision. And I remember looking at a calculation, the amount of uh, money put into Tesla call options last year was in the hundreds of billions or trillions. Like, what's wrong with this picture? You know, that is the problem. So definition, we need to destroy that. People have to start 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 to figure out that investing in the next cockamamie, you know, dream on 30 times revenues is just not the way to go. And instead, you know, looking at cash flows and, and, and investing in things that we need. And you're completely right, Javier. I mean, the problems that we're in are the byproduct of, you know, years and years of underinvestment. And so I'm completely with you. And um it's not that I want stuff to blow up because I'm short. It's still, it, I look at it more from a system perspective, and it's just a complete misallocation of, of, of resources. The, the malinvestment is just extraordinary. KFAB, you want to weigh in on this? Yeah. Can, can I ask Javier a question quick? Um, you know, Go for it. Yeah, with the, with the blow up with the, the UK and their pension funds, I, I think people, you know, people that haven't lived through these kind of cycles, you know, they hear about 08 and they hear of Lehman Brothers, right? And, and when you live through these things and you manage money through them, you remember it's like visceral. It's in your DNA. So I remember, uh, you know, the quant funds blowing up in August of 07. I remember SockGen. I remember Bear Stearns. I remember how I remember the, the Bear Stearns hedge funds blowing up in June of 07. Uh, Fannie, Freddie, auction rate securities, all these things that, you know, Lehman, Lehman, Lehman. That's what the layman remembers. That's what most people remember. And, and, the, the smell and the taste and the feel of an actual cycle and how it unfolds. And, you know, you can go back to the, the 2003 period with, you know, the cause and Tyco and WorldCom. And, and I mean, you know, there's sort of, you know, so there's these mile, there's these milestones. And one of the ones that I think people were already forgetting was the commodity blow up and what happened with nickel and Javier might know more, better than me, but people I've talked to have said that, you know, there's a lot of private firms that do the commodities trading. I've heard very quietly there were insolvencies and people have been basically in workout mode um, because of the dead bodies that floated up that have been kept quite quiet uh, in that blow up. So throw that into the mixer, too. You know what I mean? When you start talking about a cycle and things blowing up, we've already forgotten about that one. So, Javier, have, have you heard anything about that in regards to like workouts and that there were actually some dead bodies that should have floated to the top that didn't? Look, the only the only reason I think that there are several firms that are still in existence today is that is that they went all in oil all in oil or all in u.s dollars right because it was it it was it was the doors closing and if that cycle had not happened so quickly and it's like george said it's the velocity right and sometimes you can get these things correctly but you've had record years at glencore record i mean VTOL blew the doors off, right? But then you have these smaller firms that are less capitalized that you don't hear much from anymore. You've had risk. The risk tolerance in the commodities market is, is zero. The speculative trade is gone. What you see in the oil markets is really hand-to-mouth and managed money, right? You've got index money and you've got, um, you know, some, you know, CTAs 
and and that's really about it. You've lost speculative traders. Too expensive. They require too much capital. Um, these companies, and, and you're right, they're out there. I, I, I have a pretty good idea who some of them are. I'm not going to disclose them, but they have happened. Whether they cease to exist or recapitalize, it's pretty easy to recapitalize a commodity firm that has a decent track record who got caught off size. Pretty easy to recap in a environment like this because you still have intellectual capital that's valuable. Uh, you just have to tweak your risk metrics. So I, I don't think it's one of those things where it's like if oil goes, you know, from 130 to zero that, you know, somebody's going to find Andron, you know, in the in the back of a bar. Uh, you know, that's not that type of an event. You know, people asking him if, he, if he's going to live tomorrow, right? I mean, it's not like that. This is one of those things where you get a little, you get, you can get a little leeway if you're caught off sides a little bit on, on, on Russia, right? That's a good story to go get recapped. So that's really... My only thought on that, but, but, but I, you know, KPAP, along with what you're talking about, and George and I talked about this months ago, you know, 08 to now is 14 years, right? If you, and if, you, if, you're, if you're managing money and you are 38 years old managing money on Wall Street, you were in business school or a junior, you were getting coffee during 08. You know, there's not a lot of people that are deploying capital at the banks to come up through the white shoe Wall Street vertical, you know, there's a lot of seats filled with people between the ages of 26 and 38 years old that have never been through this. They, 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 their entire training, every single ounce of their training has been bullish, right? They've never seen this. You know, I, I, I mean, you talk about 0201, you know, uh, I, you know. We've seen them, right? We've been there. I remember where I was when Lehman Brothers was announced. I remember where I was when, you know, I saw, you know, I, well, I know right where I was when, when Jeff Skilling walked down the stairs onto the trading floors and basically said it's over at Enron. You know, I mean, we've been through these things. The question really, though, is, you know, look, these spaces are a blessing. They, they, they you, we, this has opened up the platform of things that people have never heard before in a manner in which they can understand. And I look down through here a lot. You know, I, I, I'll scroll down to who's listening, and I'll look, and you'll see people that need to hear this. You'll see journalists, and you'll see administ- people from the administration will pop in here every now and then. And this is an education. But, KFAB, you're right. They don't know. This is, this, is, this is fresh for people that are deploying trillions of dollars of capital, right? I mean, they have – they are part of the mechanism that's breaking, and many of them don't understand why. That is what the, the, the pause, you know, the pause that you have in a market like this has to be hands off the keyboard, take a step back. You know, the, and, I, and I'm just going to give you one anecdote. The greatest trades I've ever been, the, my best trades, if we, I bet we could have a space. Your greatest trades, and there would be very few. You, you would talk about very few. But if we had a space with your worst trades, it would last for 48 hours with nonstop traders talking about what they did wrong, okay? But every great trade I ever did was almost mindless. Very, I mean, it was one where you put in your research, you have an idea, but you know. You know, and it is all in. You're going to be in. Unless you have a crystal clear historical view of being right on those gut instincts right here, I say take a step back. Listen, learn, and watch. and You will find your opportunities to be able to make money. You don't have to be – I mean, some people have to be long. But if you, if you, were, if you have been listening to, to, to talking heads, you would have been long 
the entire way down. You would have lost, you, you've lost piles of money right now. If you had been listening carefully to the hundreds of speakers that George and, and others that have been talking about this for a year, you've learned something. And that includes money managers. You know, I, there are money managers out there that, 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 that the narcissism and the hubris and, the, you know, I'm, I'm a Harvard MBA or whatever the, whatever the story is. So, that hey, mentality is hey, going to get kicked in the teeth. Yeah, so Javier, can I ask you, as long as we got you here, because it's, it's great you're here, just a quickie. Um, you were rightfully cautious energy a few months ago, seeing a lot of uh, demand uh, coming shortfalls. Um, two questions for you. A, any mark to market in terms of uh, uh, your views on that, given that prices have come in? And then B, this is going to really put the cat amongst the pigeons. Um, Nord Stream 2, um, in terms of what happened the other day, um, impact, uh, and, then, and then two, and I probably shouldn't ask this, but I'm going to. Uh, water cooler uh, speculation. Who did it? All right. First one, George. This one's really simple. The market. So, so, so physical basis markets in the U.S. are, are firmer. We obviously have refinery outages. Gasoline is on the move. Diesel's on the move. Um, the 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 only thing, you know, we've had some strong basis markets. Like I, I'm not like I, I would not go home short oil tonight. I'm not long anything, but I wouldn't go home short oil. Um, and that being said, it's, this is really, really going to be a game of demand destruction. We've done a lot of work, a huge amount of work. Oil's down 40%, right? I mean, we've, we've moved a lot. Uh, time structures, time spreads are off 90%. We did not break contango. There's still demand. There are still cargoes on the water moving to China for, for them to meet their quotas. It's not necessarily domestic Chinese demand. It really, they have export quotas that they have to do. So there's a firmness in the market right now. I talk about it a lot. In commodities, path of least resistance is very important. For the, the path of least resistance, no matter who you've listened to, has been down, right? It has not been up. There's, you can make any narrative you want, but if you're in the market and you see physical barrels moving, it's not been up. That has changed a little bit. Brent spreads are higher. WTI spreads are higher. Basis markets are higher. Uh, freight is firmer. Dirty freight rates are higher. So we found a level where people are willing to buy things, and it is because of real demand. Unlike most of the tech sector, there is real demand for these things. We still have to drive. We still have to fly. We still have to eat. We, we, if you buy a carton of eggs, you just, you know, you poly, you know, you have uh, uh, poly, poly, you know, these things move. So I'm, I'm looking. If that pivoted today, you could not buy oil. You could not buy it. You, 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 we'd be at 100 in a blink. So very cautious here. If structures keep moving, if debt prices keep moving, I might dip my toe in the water a little bit. This is the first time I've thought about even – I have not looked at a trade to be long in the energy sector other than in gas for months, and I'm contemplating some things I might like to do. Well, so that, that's yeah, the first thing. Yeah, Two, yeah, that, you asked that, me that, about Nord Stream. Yeah, let's talk about Nord Stream. Go for it. Nord Stream, was, this was an inoperative pipeline. It's fair capacity. It's, it's functionality was going to be political in nature. I know the world is hot. I hyped up on it. I had look. I mean, I get. I've been asked this question a hundred times in, 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 in forty eight hours, and the most recent time I was asked was about an hour ago before I left my office today. And I said, one, because of the nature of the last two and a half years and the absurdity of COVID lockdowns and vaccines and this and that and you know market dives and what we're going through right now, like everything is on the table for absurdity. I'd like whoever did it just raise their hand because you know what. Wouldn't like, and this is totally tongue in cheek. 
don't start sending me DMs. But it's like at this point, like if the Canadians said we did it because we want to uh, increase our gas supply to Europe, I would believe it. I have no clue who did it. There's probably 50 people on the planet who know exactly who did it, and we may never know. I don't know. I don't believe. I don't believe any headline that comes out about it. I don't care. Okay, so Javier, forgetting about who did it, the economics, the economic significance of what's happened, in, in material. I don't think so. There's a lot of excess spare capacity for gas lines to get into Europe. I think. Look, this is going to end up being a game of um, uh, uh, going to be a duration game. Um, it's we're. I'll have a better answer on that in March once we get through the winter to see what this thing looks like. I am not of the camp. I'm of the camp that it's going to be expensive, but not a nuclear bomb dropping off. You know, and Europe's going to fracture and these things. Like I, I think it's a mild winter and it's painful financially. But I also think it's going to do Europe good. Look, at some point in time, the citizens are going to have a regime change of the people that have made poor policy. It's going to happen one way or the other. I, I mean, it, it's, the, it's the only exit strategy for Europe is probably regime change. Unelected bureaucrats making poor policy decisions can only go on as long as the population allows it. Um, so I don't I, – I personally am not of the camp that is a catastrophic event, you know, unless we get some, you know, record cold eight-week spell and, and, and it becomes a perfect storm. That's a whole different story. That is a horrific outcome. Um, and Nord Stream's, Nord Stream's role in that – look, there was doubts as to whether or not that thing was going to be opened up anyway. And um, I hate to be – I'm just not an alarmist on it. I think – I think it becomes a non-event in 18 months. Appreciate that, Javier. Please hang around. I'm sure there'll be some follow-up questions. I'd like to go now to... Uh... Well, George, real, real quick, 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 yeah. quick comment. Sorry. Um, go for so it. So I shared a, I shared a chart, uh, I think, last week or the week before, of ExxonMobil and Chevron in the 73-74 bear market when, you know, obviously there was the oil embargo and oil went parabolic. Um, they went down 50% in that bear market. Right. So I, I, I want to just say that because there's a lot of people listening, I, I think, and Javi, you, you clarify, I think you mean oil itself. Right. So people can extrapolate that and go running into stocks. Um, I, I just think that the risk reward in the stocks here, because, again, if what we think is coming is coming, the idea that the, the politicians are going to stand by and let oil companies print money and buy back shares and have CEOs get billion dollar payouts. I think they got their heads up their butt. Um, so, you know, there's an asymmetric political risk in this dynamic relative to, uh, energy companies actually monetizing, even if oil does go to 200. I'm, I, you know what, KFAB, thank, thank you for doing that because I, I need to, I need to clarify. I, I am not bullish energy equity, um, at all. I mean, I'm, look, some are going to perform, you know, you're going to, you, you are going to have energy companies that likely do better than some index moves, but I am talking simply and purely about the commodity. Um, so thank you, KFAB. I should have prefaced that. Thanks, KFAB. Thanks, Javier. All right, I want to go to Michael Howell, and after Michael Howell, we're going to do Jeff Garbaz. Good evening, Michael. It's uh, past your bedtime. It's what, almost 11 o'clock where you are. Welcome. Yeah, hi. Hi, everybody. Uh, yeah, George, I haven't got a lot of time because I've got to jump onto another spaces, actually, immediately. But I'll, um, I just wanted to say a few things. I mean, one is that uh, I want to endorse... 110% your NOPE project, because I think this is going to be absolutely great. 
uh, you know, you've got so much experience of the markets and you kind of think, uh, I think, pretty much the same way as we all do, uh, how to make money out of them and how to avoid, uh, you know, disasters like uh, we're going through right now. Let, let me just say a couple of things about um, first how I look at the markets and then what I, what I think everything is saying. Um, I started off, um, you know, more, more than 30 years ago at Salomon Brothers. I wasn't, a, I wasn't smart enough to be a trader, so I ended up in research and basically uh, learned at the feet of Henry Kaufman. Henry was the doyen then of Wall Street, uh, understood flow of funds and liquidity, and basically used to put together from the Z1 accounts from the Fed, uh, basically a flows analysis of what was happening in US financial markets. And Henry nailed it for a long, long time. My only contribution was to say, look, the world is going global. Let's do this globally. And let's look at all central banks and look what they're doing. And that's pretty much what I've been doing for much of the last 30 years. And, uh, you know, we now sell this research and run money on it um, uh, here in London. The, the background for this year has been very simple. The policy of the U.S. has been essentially to get the Fed balance sheet down and to get the U.S. dollar up. And it's been as straightforward as that. The policy next year is going to be to get the balance sheet up and get the dollar down. OK, things are breaking and there's a lot of turmoil. I, I emailed you, uh, or sorry, I, t I tweeted to you, George, a couple of charts which you can distribute. One of those is looking at the degree of stress in market liquidity right now, which is back to uh, 2008 levels. Okay, Just look at the almost V-shaped rebound after the crisis in 2008 when the central banks came in. They're going to have to come in, and we're beginning to see that happening right now with the UK being the latest. Everybody is starting to switch on to yield curve control. They'll call it something different, but that's what we've got in the long term, okay? So essentially, that, that's the backdrop. There'll be something breaking, but what we've got to ask ourselves now is how this ends. And it's going to end ultimately with the Federal Reserve or the People's Bank of China coming back in. The data that we look at very closely uh, is in the second chart that I uh, tweeted to George, which is basically Fed liquidity injections on a weekly basis and the track of the, S uh, the SPX, the S&P 500. It's, it's kind of one for one. The more the Fed takes out of the markets, the more the markets go down. The Fed is slated to take out on its own, on its own calculations another trillion out of markets. If it does that and succeeds, I don't think it's going to be able to do it. The S&P is going to be below 3,000. OK, it's a, it's a straight line down move. OK, this is real. This is extreme pain that we're going to face. The other thing to look at is what the People's Bank of China is doing. No one's been looking at China for a long time, but they've been screwed by the strong dollar. And that may have been a deliberate policy. What the Chinese have been doing in the last few days, now that the yuan has cracked, it's gone through to 7.2 against, uh, against, against the greenback. What you've got now is big liquidity injections starting in China. Okay, the first time they've done it for basically... Uh, almost two years. September, we would see the biggest uh, inflows into their money markets. It may not be the start of something, but it may well be. We've got to watch it really closely. So I think that if you look forward, what basically is happening here is central banks are moving more and more and more towards yield curve control, which means capping yields. Okay. Now, I listened intensively to people, what people were saying about the UK. Most of that I just do not agree with. It's, it's fundamentally incorrect. The UK is not in a bad fiscal situation, but the world is, okay? The UK is not too bad. 
And let me just give you some indication of, of the situation. The problem in the UK is the leverage in the pension market and the stuff up by the Bank of England, who have had an absolutely ridiculous monetary policy uh, for too long now. And that's what has caused the disruption in the UK. The fiscal arithmetic is not too bad. And let me tell you this, that if you look at mandatory spending by the government, uh, OK, um, in other words, entitlement spending plus defence spending, and you take off tax revenues, you're left with a balance. That balance has got to afford interest. And in the case of the UK, prior to the budget move, that was about 180 percent, otherwise 1.8 times coverage. After the budget uh, tax reductions and energy uh, subsidy, that went down to 1.2. So it's still they're still covering their interest payments. Question is, what is that figure in the US now? The figure now is 0.8. So in the US, you don't cover your interest payments on the debt uh, after on that calculation. OK. And there's also discretionary spending on top. If you go forward to 20, to 2025, that ratio comes down to about 0.3. OK, so there's some big problems out there. Central bank, sorry, governments cannot afford this degree of fiscal spending and without yields going up. That's the big challenge. And what you've got is the Fed doing QT at the same time. It's absolutely bonkers. So effectively, they got about turned really quickly. But we saw the alacrity with which the Bank of England uh, moved from QT to QE when effectively yields started to spike. Nobody could afford that. So what you're getting is this situation. What we've got to see is when the Fed moves and the Fed will be moving, I think, within three months, maybe a tad more. But it's that sort of horizon. And effectively, what we've got a position for is a big rebound in risk markets sometime in 23. This is the last phase of the bear market, but it's going to be a vicious drop, in my view. So that that's the view. Michael, thanks for that. And by the way, for everyone, um, I put Michael's uh, charts up in the nest. Um, I think, <clears throat> Michael, one that's maybe most interesting is the last one that you mentioned, how uh, you, you were very – you got, you got a lot of airtime on, on Twitter. Um, you were talking about how you're looking at a big down the last time. A, a, a big down in the next two, three months, followed by a big rebound next year once once the QE gets turned on again. So, but in the short run, Michael, I mean, just between now and say year end, are you pretty negative on things, Michael? Yeah, much. I mean, I think that this this bear phase normally uh, sees at least twenty percent down on average, and it's fast moving. Uh, and the question is, will the central banks be able to react fast enough? Uh, you know, they, they've shown the colour of their money already. They don't like financial distress and they're prepared to, you know, forget about inflation um, to basically, you know, to, to, to keep the show on the road. But the long term arithmetic is the thing to think about, the perspective. QE is coming back big time and we're living in a world where central banks are dominant. Uh, and they, there's no there's no shaking away from that. That That's how it is. Um, and you, you look at the projections from the Congressional Budget Office, you look at what the New York Fed says about open market operations, all those publications, official publications, have the Fed balance sheet bigger than today by 2030. Thanks for that, Michael. Um, you, you're off to another space. Good luck, my friend. Thanks so much, George. Good luck to Great. you. Don't all right. So, so that was absolutely fantastic. So um, just to line up the speakers here, we're going to go to Jeff Garbaz and then... Uh, Guy Serendulo. Good to see you, Jeff. What's up? What's up, man? Hey, how are you? All, all good. What's on your mind? Good, good. So let's start with this idea of like a lot of people have been talking about different periods of time. And I think it's important. 
I did a speech a couple of weeks ago and it was uh, called transitioning from a bull to a bear back to a bull. Um, and so what I did was, I think this will give people a lot of context. Um, I looked at 1980 forward and we had to move at least 50% up. And so how big were the up moves and then the subsequent drops? So I think this is really important for people to understand. 1980 to 87, the S&P moved up, and I'm, I'm only doing the S&P, by 223%. That ended in 87 when we had the crash, and we fell by 30.17%. Then by the end of that, we bottomed in December, and then we had a run from 87 to 90, where we then went up by 56.65%, fell in 90, we fell 15%, 15.84%. And that's what I call like a partial drop. So 1987 was the complete drop the full Monty, so to speak. And then we started a new phase in 90 to 94. We went up 58%. And then we fell in 94 by 7.75. And then came the second big, real big move, 94 to 2000, up by 215%. And then we fell from 2000 to 2002 by 46.35%, a complete drop. So the second complete drop uh, since 1980, kind of going forward. And then we went up, 02 to 07, 90%. And then everyone knows what happened from 07 to 09. We fell by 52%, 52.54, complete drop. And then 09 to 2020, the biggest move of all of them, the, the granddaddy, up 339.51%. And then we fell during the pandemic 34% in a couple months, complete drop. And so 2020 to 22, up 114%. And so far, we've dropped 23%. So to me, it's becoming pretty obvious. Are we in a partial drop or a complete drop? And we're moving into the complete drop. And so those type of so when you look at, you go from understanding the up moves, how much we've pulled back, um, and you look at the monthly DMA channel, which is what we use for our bias. And it basically, it's just a monthly uh, moving average, six-month moving average from the high and the low, displaced, shifted in the future by four months. And if we look at where we are now and how long the duration has gone on, we've surpassed 2020, 2018, um, 2015, we're kind of equal to, we've surpassed 2011. And we're starting to come into the shorter ends of the 0709 range and the 2000 to 2002 range. So that means that we're potentially looking at a drop. We're 23 and change now. We're going to have to probably get it to 35 to 50%. Um, so that's, that's where we are. And then obviously short interest. Let's talk about short interest right now. People got forced to cover in June until August. And now they're starting to come back in. We had a pretty good increase this last period of time. We're almost back to a brand new absolute high on New York Stock Exchange. NASDAQ, not so much. We're still a billion shares off, but we're, we're up from where we were a year ago this time by like a billion six shares on the New York Stock Exchange and a billion shares on um, NASDAQ. So what does that mean about where we are right now at this point in time? And this year, actually, if you, if you think about it from absolute highs 
to absolute lows, it's been pretty predictable. So if we just look at this year so far, the average drop, we've only had two drops that have been a little less than, than 5%. We had a, uh, a 4.92 from March 2nd until March 8th. And what's important about some of these drops is they're very quick in nature. And that is what you basically get in a, uh, in a bear market. And then we had another one from a two-day drop of 4.6% from 5.17 to 5.19. And now we're looking at a lot of 9% drops. Um, and then we had two drops before this current one right now of 15.5 from the end of March until the middle of May. And then another one in June, which is pretty nasty, June 2nd to June 19th, we dropped 12.21%. And now we're down, call it 11.43. I gave the benefit of the doubt of a rally from 9.6 to 9.12, where we went up by 5.17. So if we look at the up moves, the up moves are really quick. Like 127 to 2.2, we went up 6.08%. And then... 223 to 32, we went up by 3.81%, seven days. And then 512 to 517, we went up 4.04 in five days. And then the uh, May 19th to the 2nd, we went up 7.08 in 15 days. And then we had this September thing, 96 to, to 912, um, we went up 5.17. So everyone should expect that we're getting like 5% counter moves in a couple days. But then we just start heading down again. And I think it's, it's really easy for people to um, hop on board and, and try and get positive about stuff. But, I mean, quite honestly, it just ain't happening. And, George, you know me. I'm probably more bullish than bearish. And I don't, ever, I don't think I've seen in a long time back to the 07 to 09 period. Like our 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 technicals to look any worse than they possibly could. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so, so, so Jeff, just a lot of great information there, but I, I think it's a lot to absorb. So let me let me ask you the question. In a way it would be easy to to people can get the conclusion of all this. So you were citing how you know we're down twenty three and we think we could go thirty five to fifty off the highs. I remember we got a couple months ago. You were talking about short term bullish, but you were like mega bearish once we got past you know. I think it was first September, something like that. So right here, August, right, August yeah, in August, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so right here, right now, from where we are right now, because I think a lot of numbers you throw out there, it's a little bit confusing. But from right here, right now, what's your sort of outlook? I mean, where do you think the market could trade to? Um, we go down the next couple of weeks to 3,500, and then we kind of stop for the time being. And you want, and, you want and, willing to look beyond that? Yeah, yeah. I think we rally back up towards 4,000 by yep. year end. Yeah. Um, so like I'm, I'm a quarter ahead of where Michael Howe is. There's seasonality that's a positive. And now like people came in really big um, from the end of August until the middle of September on the short side. And now with this latest collection period, it, it's going to be hard not to see that number be the same or even much higher so now the shorts are setting themselves up again so that we could have, when we get to, I'm, I'm thinking like the 10th of October, because here's something that's kind of interesting. You know, we've talked about this before. This pattern when the type fours are underperforming. Um, this will be the third week in a row. So that means historically from 2009 
we've got about a 50% chance of a rally next week. So not saying, I don't think it's probably next week, but then the week after it goes up to like 80% and who knows what happens in the next two weeks. But the number of stocks that are up for the year, it is just, it is falling off the face of the earth. We're, we're down to now coming into this month. We were at 16, uh, actually last week, sorry, last week, it was 16% of stocks were higher for the year. And I bet after this week we're down at like yeah no thirteen thirteen percent so 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 yeah. the take so the, here's the takeaway rallies are very obvious because they're led by the weakest shit outperforming it's just a fact if we're gonna have a, a rally that lasts from like the middle of June to the middle of August that was a two month rally that was led by the weakest stuff people actually stepping in and buying when, when the rally lasts five days, it isn't the weakest stuff that's outperforming. So yes. So yesterday, as an example, I was all, everyone was like getting excited. And I was like, uh, uh-uh, because there was no separation between the stronger stocks technically and the weaker stocks. Technically they had the same exact type return. And then, you know, today we just, we just fell apart. So you know, if you look at that, so let's say we're going to get to down 40 before all of this stuff ends or it's down 50 or what, whatever the number is, you're going to have to be tactical and understand that at absolute lows, um, they can turn without you really realizing it until you're three months beyond it. And that happened in 09. In 09, what's really interesting, we got to 666 in March. We rallied. People didn't start covering until July, until we were well above a thousand. I I would expect the same type of thing whenever we get through this. And I don't know what what's going to take to get through it. I, I know that from one of the other research I, guys I work with besides Phil, he did a phenomenal graph of looking at up EPS revisions on the S&P 500. It's on my Twitter and I mentioned it the last time, but we're down to like 240 stocks and it bottomed in um, 08, 09 at like 50 stocks and it bottomed at the pandemic low at around 50 stocks. So when we get down to 50, only 50 stocks having EPS up revisions, then to me, that's kind of a level. I, Phil has always had this belief, uh, George, you probably have heard him say it or, or write it, where he, he wants to buy stocks when the unemployment rate is high and he wants to sell stocks when the unemployment rate is low. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's great. Just, just hold the thought for a second, because um, a good mutual friend, uh, I want to get him in here. Uh, he's been waiting patiently. Uh, Mr. Guy Serendulo. Uh, so, Guy, um, hey, good to see you, Guy. What, what, just, uh, what do you think of all the disasters that, that's going on out there, Guy? Hey, George. Hi. Well, uh, a few a few quick thoughts. First of all, I am so bullish, Kathy Wood, because if you invert that chart, it looks like a freaking buy. Oh, wait, so, so wait, so, so guy, you're, you're a big bull of SR. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, to our conversation earlier today, it's just, uh, you know, invert the charts and look bullish. You're an idiot to be bearish. So the bottom line is you know, there's a lot of, you know, people looking for a, a, a slight retest of the, of the low or what have you. But, you know, the inability for a market to last more than one day in duration in, in a rally is is really disastrous. So, you and I worked at Fidelity for quite some time. I did 13 years there. And 
I, I, I kissed the ground. I, I walked on over there because it's beautiful, great people. And I love them all. And, you know, we've been blessed with having the ability to get research from all around the world. So our quarterly budgets were big. So my, the reason why I'm saying that, saying that is because we looked at, tasted at, I, I speak for myself, what is out there. And there is only a few people here and there that I really um, encapsulated their, their research and work. One gentleman, you know, he's out of, he left from, from Kansas City to Australia, McLaren, and our former colleague, Bill Copeland, um, got his work as well. And he made a, a great comment. This is back in the mid-90s. You know, if if you're less than three days in duration for a counter trend rally in a, in a let's say a bear market, um, you know it's really really bad sign. Here we have one day rallies that don't last much. You're taking out the low. It just goes to show you how much selling pressure is behind the market. So, I think you know, for me, it's you know the Italian technical term is is called chiudere luce, lights out. It's bad. It's really bad. So. Who the hell wants to buy a Microsoft down here or a Tesla or Amazon? You invert the charts. I want to buy them all day long. So, you know, I just wanted to share that thought because I think you're doing a great job with the spaces and, you know, God bless. And I wish you well with the ETF and I hope to help out. But, you know, we're here to do this because we want to help people. I'm not, I don't have a retail, retail product. Um, you know, you, you've been encouraging me to get, a, get something out there and maybe at some point. But I just don't want to see the next person lose a buck out in this market. This is really disastrous. Uh, the, the one observation I was really interesting today is how energy stocks, like a Devon, uh, COP, there was bidding in those stocks. And they actually, on a relative basis, were up. And some of them were actually up on an absolute. So I think that's really telling. And I think that once this crap is over, I really, my gut is saying that this stuff could really be the leaders coming out of this. So anyway, just a few thoughts I wanted to share. And uh, anyway, we could chat some more if you like. Appreciate that, Guy. Thanks for that. All right, let's 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 move on. Um, I want to recognize uh, uh, first Keith, and then Keith will be followed by uh, Nostra. Welcome, Keith. Please unmute yourself. Yeah. Hi. Hi, George. Uh, I don't think we've ever met. I'm, I'm one of these 40 year veterans who've been around for a while. I started in 1980. And uh, maybe you're familiar with Fair Home Capital going back a few years. Yes, indeed. Okay, I was the number two there for a decade. So um, interesting. I mean, it's interesting to hear everybody's views. And I, I, I can't say I don't disagree. I've been very conservative for quite some time. Uh, my question, and, and, and maybe it's just a, uh, something for a future chat, is, uh, you know, it would be interesting to hear what people would be looking for uh, in terms of, uh, uh, for example, where they expect to invest uh, as things get worse or as conditions, you know, appear to get closer to a bottom and there's more despair and pessimism and, and just giving up. Um, you know, it, it is interesting um, that Buffett has put, you know, tens of billions of dollars into the energy business this year. Um, it is kind of interesting that uh, capital has been short in, in a lot of the commodity space. Um, you just, 
that this has been chronic underinvestment for a long time in a lot of these areas, um, which I think is interesting. Um, and, and yet you still have those companies that are big cash generators uh, potentially down the road that may have some cyclicality to them. Uh, and there's a price like a Google or something like that. So I'd, I'd be interested in hearing more what people, you know, where people expect to benefit once the, the dust settles. Yeah, yeah that, that's fair. So um, I don't know if uh, I think guy just dropped off. Dave Nikoski, are you still there? Um, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, Dave. So you're, you're big on relative strength and I, 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 we've talked about this before. And so, even the context of a crappy market. So I know we, you and I have talked about this over the years. You always look to see what show what, what exhibits the best relative strength, even as a down, as a sort of clue as to what might bring the future. So in, in, in answering Keith's questions, like, you know, what would you look to get long coming out of this mess? Well, I, you know, historically, the, the sector that you want the exposure to at the reversal is going to be, you know, the consumer. Um. I would expect that that would be the first sector, you know, to, to move again, especially with looking at a number of the stocks in there that are completely oversold. I think biotechs, you know, I, I came out several months ago and suggested that, you know, biotechs were bottoming. You know, what's interesting is when you look at the IBB or the XBI, you do have higher lows even on this pullback. So, you know, realistically, um, when you look back at the small micro cap names, you know, even the junk ones, um, you know, they made their low back in November of 02. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, in the, the global financial crisis, you know, they made their low in November. And, you know, on a relative strength basis, I think they were up about 100% versus the market um, before the March low. So, you know, obviously with biotechs, you don't have the exposure to the, the foreign exchange. Um, you know, you don't have exposure to energy. Um, you know, so there's there's quite a few things in there. And I remember at that time, you know, a lot of the names were traveling, you know, trading below the cash value. And I think you have that right now, uh, assuming some of these companies can come to the market in a year from now and raise capital. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, looking for those areas that are not subjected to, you know, the, the inflation that we're seeing um, are helpful. You know, you're saying I see I'm seeing a lot of insurance stocks uh, do do better, but there's a lot that are, you know, on their back. Um, HMOs is something we recently highlighted on a relative strength basis. Um, I've been very bullish of the energy shippers. You know, I see the same exact. Uh, playbook that you had back in 98 to 2002 back then you had somewhere close to four to 500 ships that were sold for scrap and we ran into you know um, transportation needs um, this last cycle you saw 300 tankers were scrapped and you know i've been very bullish on you know the tnks of the world's the front lines um, Euronav. Um, there's a number of them out there that you know continue to you know, hit relative strength highs, you, you know, your uh, dirty tanker index is, is actually near the March highs yet. So, you know, if, if you want to make the argument that there's no demand out there, you know, the index is staying high and these companies are absolutely printing money. But you don't hear anyone talking about, you know, the tank, tankers being scrapped and the shortage and you're having to, you know, transport energy by ship. Um, so, you know, I think that's a interesting approach. So, you know, looking looking forward, you know, I have to, as a technician, I need to look for those inflections to occur. 
Um, but you know, in, in tough markets like this, like I, I said, you know, there's a number of stocks out there, you know, home depots near, you know, near the 52 week relative strength high, but I can't look at the chart and tell you it's a great chart. You know, it's just not breaking down with the market, um, at this point, And I, I expect that it will. Hey, 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 George, real quick. Um, on this, on this topic, I had like a really interesting, actually three conversations this week. First time ever people talking about early cyclicals and look, we're in a recession now. I think the one thing that's amazing about this whole call is there's no one talking about the fact that we're in a, in a recession. And the other day, uh, you know, Stanley, uh, Druckenmiller was talking about, it's not going to be your garden variety type of recession potentially next year. And at the same time, you got Gunlock a week before coming out and saying he's starting to buy bonds. You know, the trade of the year next year, quite honestly, if we're in a recession and uh, the Fed has to uh, pivot and has to stop raising rates and inflation starts coming down, the best return is going to be bonds. It's kind of a, a no brainer. Um, so in these discussions with three very smart people who you would probably know of or you would definitely know their firms, uh, we were looking at early cyclicals and XHB. I know housing's bad and everything, but it's definitely made a higher high. And right now it's still making a higher low. XLY as well. Home Depot actually looks really good chart-wise. And granted, with what's happened in Florida, there's going to be a hell of a lot of reconstruction. But early cyclicals um, are probably an interest at some point um, in the future. I would agree with that. Now, like I said, on, you know, even Home Depot, you know, the absolute chart, though, is is not a great looking chart. You know, I, I can say it's hitting support and it's not making a new low, but I would agree with that's why I brought up the, the Generac comment earlier. You know, you would think that uh, with that many people without power, you would be selling generators and Generac is, you know, hitting new lows. Yeah. Uh, uh, short, 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 a short research firm is attacking those guys beyond belief. Okay. And uh, what's it was so interesting, George, on Generac um, is that the shorts typically don't get it right. So that could be an amazing play, especially if the company decides to start doing a buyback and some other things. Right. Thanks for that, Dave. Thanks for that, Jeff. Yeah, you're we, welcome. We, we have a couple more speakers, and I think we're going to think about closing the room because we've been going on two hours and 20 minutes. So everyone keeps saying keep these rooms shorter, but the rooms are so good, the quality of the conversations and the speakers. So – uh, I want to go to Nostra and then Carpathia. Please unmute yourself, Nostra. Uh, hi, George. Thank you for letting me speak. Uh, I was just curious uh, how many people here take into account tell risks it, um, in talking about um, the escalation in Ukraine and Russia. I know it's hard to uh, do geopolitics when you're managing a portfolio, but when you have a tail risk similar to uh, Brexit or Trump, it makes a substantial difference. I'm just curious what everybody thinks. Thank you. So I'll speak for myself. Um, it's top of mind for me. I think particularly in an environment like this where there's so many moving parts. Um, how's the saying goes? Nobody knows nothing. <laughs> there's so many ways to lose. Uh, we've seen so many things happen that were unexpected. To think that um, there won't be more of that is foolhardy in my opinion. And the, importantly, these types of considerations contribute to lower valuations, lower P.E. ratios, not higher. 
I think, especially if you've been in the room from the beginning, I mean, you, you asked me about the Ukraine. I don't want to open up that Pandora's box. Uh, I will just say, though, uh, we have uh, a couple of very smart uh, uh, fellows in the room. I'm not sure who they are today, but friends of the room, military guys. Uh, Schmuckatelli, if he's here, please raise his hand, or Lanfont. Um, and they gave us insights going back already to February in the uh, run-up to the invasion when the consensus was that um, there would be no invasion. And they pointed out to the contrary that there would, and they, get, they explained why, and they were right. And they were just in here recently, at least Schmuckatelli was. He has the best name. I, I'm not making that up for those of you who don't know him. Sergeant Joe Schmuckatelli. It's not his real name in real life, but that's his uh, stage name in Twitter. He's got the coolest stage name out there. He, uh, went, We asked him this question last week, and, you know, couldn't really answer that specifically, but what he did say was, this is not going to go any, any, anytime soon. It's going to take, it's going to be longer rather than shorter. And furthermore, said that you cannot judge Putin on the norms that uh, you would expect of uh, um, most people, that he will do things that, you know, go beyond uh, what's considered uh, normal or acceptable uh, behavior. And so anything's possible. I do not pretend to have any insights uh, as to what he's going to do. I think I don't think anyone really can. There's only one person who knows who, who's what he's going to do, and that's him. And I also think that he's one sharp cookie. He's he's a you know cruel, odious uh, criminal in terms of what he does, what he do to people. But um, I think he's capable of anything. And so uh, we can't be precise. I mean, you ask a deceptively complicated question. It sounds simple, but it's hard to answer. And I just think the range of possibilities is so enormous. It's so hard to handicap what he's likely to do that you should be in this situation eyes wide open. So um, it's certainly top of mind for me. Thank you for that question, Nostra. Uh, if I could add to that. So, so if you were to, to play that situation, you would go long oil and wheat? No, uh, because uh, as uh, Javier has been speaking, Javier, who I take my cue from, he is the smartest guy when it comes to energy. And energy is complicated. There are a lot of cross currents here. I mean, yeah, by itself... If we get some fireworks erupting further again, yes, that would be positive for the oil price. But at the same time, we're looking at a, uh, a recession and energy energy stocks, but energy stocks do poorly uh, in an economic downturn. So I would be loath to base an investment in energy or agriculture simply on uh, what Putin may or may not do because there are a lot of other variables out there that will uh, determine how that plays. So again, I thank you for the question. Um, I'd like to move now to uh, Carpathia. Good to see you, my friend. Please unmute yourself. What's up? Good. Congratulations, George. Fantastic room. To uh, Gnostic, I mean, tail risk, just keep your cash. It's already been talked. Keep your cash high and your size small. And then I want to talk to Keith, uh, the former fair home. I mean, I own the fund. Um. I just don't worry about it. And then your, your clue in, in all of this, you know, you ask where we're going to go. Um, I do macro, I do deep value, I do growth momentum. I'm like a jack. I have ADD. But we, we know there's going to be um, the tide going out. So in the fair home bent for people listening, if you haven't heard of that fund, look it up. If you haven't heard of Horizon Kinetics, 
If you haven't heard of George, nope, look it up. Uh, other value houses. And you, you do, you know, you got to know what you're looking for. And, you know, I agree with Dave. I think the energy sector, um, I took it way down. I'm not going to mention any names. Garbaz is going to hate this. I'm really looking at the metals, the miners, with the proper balance sheet, with the right CEOs. Um, some of these things are below net asset. They're paying down debt with the right CEOs. And we're looking for this inflection point, right? I am in the house. I'm the resident gold bull. Um, I'm, I'm looking for that moment where they are going to support the sovereign and we'll get our clues. We'll get our clues like Devin. Somebody mentioned Devin. There's a clue today. I think I DM'd you, George, a couple of days ago. We're getting clue days now. They're not actionable. But if you know what you own and you can buy a dollar bill for 50 cents, you close your eyes. It'll be the hardest freaking trade. Walter Deemer, if you're not on here, I keep your book taped to my screens. When it's time to buy, you won't want to. And that's where I'm looking. I'm looking at the precious metals. I'm looking at the energy. And somebody mentioned it earlier at dinner with a guy who has a chemical company last night. He's killing it. The margins are there. The, the companies that are going to be actually uh, producing cash flow. Um, I like the bonds, Jeff, too. I mean, I, I, I'm not there yet. But this is where you're going to make your money. You make your money in the bear markets. You just don't know it and it doesn't feel like it. But that's where you make your money. And in that, it's going to be stressful. It's going to be scary. Rooms like this will help. It's great to listen to you guys. But I'll end with one totally non-market commentary just to help us get through this. This is what we do. It's not who we are. We do it because it's a profession. It's not who we are. Your life, your family, and stuff. So anyway, thank you so much, guys. I'd look for the precious metals at the right time. Hey, Carpathia, hey. well said. We always appreciate your wisdom. And I think rather than focus on one particular sector of stock that Carpathia uh, mentioned, I think the bigger message from his from for that he's articulating, and I totally agree with it, there are going to be winners and losers. This is going to become an environment for active managers. Um, so whereas the last you know number of years – say certainly up to a year ago it was all about indexation and you know fang stocks and whatever i mean passive kick the, kick the daylights out of active i think i think an environment like this we have economic volatility it's going to present winners and losers and um i think you're going to be richly rewarded for doing your homework so thank you for that carpathia uh jeff did you want to say something yeah yeah yeah. so just tell or he's gonna he's on so he can hear it but i'm actually getting closer to wanting to be positive on the materials because of the the technical action of what I call the bottom fisher coming into play. And yesterday was a pretty amazing day in terms of what the materials did. Obviously, today it kind of took it back. But um, I'm, I'm closer to thinking about them as long ideas than I am as, as short ideas at this point. So there you go. Thanks. Bingo. Jeff. Bingo. Yeah. All right, we have two more uh, speakers, and then we're gonna we're gonna close the room. Uh, I want to go to Meta, uh, and then Illinois. Meta, please unmute yourself. Indy eighty five. Indy eighty five, are you there? 
Okay, hearing none. Ill and I, good to see you. What's going on? Hey, George. Thanks for having me. Uh, greetings from the Canadian Oil Mafia. Um, while I have you guys here, um, I just sort of wanted to ask, you know, we saw uh, Canadian Natural Resources, their ticker symbol is CNQ, uh, sell off 8% on Friday, sell off another 8% on Monday. Uh, volumes were a little bit elevated, but not, you know, way out of whack. Um, I, I wanted to ask some of the chartists, you know, is this capitulation, uh, number one? And number two, you know, how do you think about, you know, the downdraft that might be coming, you know, from other um, either NASDAQ or um, S&P related stocks um, washing over to, to energy? Um, does anybody have any thoughts on that? Thank you. So so I'll, 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 let's have Dave Nikoski and then Jeff, just uh, your take on energy. Well, I mean, I'm looking at the the CNQ chart. I mean, you're at a support level, but, it, you know, with this market, I'm not eliciting anyone to buy anything at a support level here because I, I do think that we t we move lower. Um, it's not a chart that I would go out and buy. I need to see some type of reversal pattern. Um, is there capitulation? Yeah, volume certainly picked up, but until that dissipates or reverses back up, you know, I, I would like it to see it close the gap, but, you know, the gap is, you know, back up at 52 and it's sitting at 46.73. So, you, you you know, it's a risk reward scenario where you, you know, if you bought it here and it doesn't can't close that gap, that's not going to be a good thing. Hey, Jeff. hey, Jeff. George. Yeah, Jeff. Blue, blue Horseshoe loves CNQ. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. It's massively... Wait, 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 Jeff, Jeff, hold on, hold on, hold on. For those of us who don't know uh, Blue Horseshoe, what is that? Sorry. That is from uh, Wall Street. And, uh, oh, Bud right, Fox right, right. Blue right, Horseshoe. Right. Yeah, okay, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, okay, go on, yeah. Blue Horseshoe then loved Anaconda Steel. <laughs> now, it's, now, it's, now it's Canadian National. So here's what's so interesting about it. It's heavily shorted. It's 21 days to cover. So it's going to take the shorts forever to get out of this thing. And historically, the shorts have made money on it. So you probably think, well, there's no way Jeff's going to like it. But it's down 15%. And historically, the shorts only make like 6%. So it's kind of outstayed its welcome. And the times that the shorts got squeezed on it, they got squeezed 35%. So if I take down 15 to get back to even and then another 35, it, it could be a 50% mover. And I, I think one thing that people don't understand about this market, George, you, you probably understand it better than anyone, and you're going to understand it even more. There's no liquidity in this market. And so what is a short ratio? It means how long it takes the shorts to cover. But that's if they're the only ones that are buying. When they have to compete against other people that are long, this thing really has a short ratio of like 35 or 40 days to cover, not 21 days. So I, I think this could be a, a fabulously interesting name for next year. And I think everyone's going to start thinking about what do they own next year when, you know, 80, 85% of all stocks are lower for the year. Right. Yeah, Jeff, I, thank you. I think you just made some new friends in the Canadian yeah. uh, oil investors. I, there you I, go. I think below forty-five is not is just a place I wouldn't touch it. The one thing that it does have, just be aware of, it does have a head and shoulders top on it. And if if that's any conclusive, you know whether you believe in it or not is is not the scenario. But 
if it, if it does take out 45, it's definitely going to secure that head and shoulders top pattern. Now, I always tell everyone that, you know, the failure of a bearish pattern is extremely bullish. Okay. Cause it, it, it means other investors that do utilize these pattern recognition, they're going to have to reverse course. If this thing moves back up, you see what I'm saying? So it's sitting right on the precipice of a head and shoulders top neckline. Yeah, and it's, it's, it just as an FYI, it's also got an inverse Prussian helmet formation that's being tested right now. So it's uh, not well, right. Yeah. All right, so that, guys. Guys, we, 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 I think I think I think that's gonna we're gonna call it. Um, all right. So listen, this has been a fantastic room. Uh, again, we've had you know from the top from shrub to uh, Tommy Thornton to Michael Howell to Ian Harney to Jessica Boz to Javier Nikoski. I mean, I miss so many people. It's just extraordinary. Thank every, each and every one of you. And um, these, I really, really, I, I appreciate all of you. I mean, I learn a lot from these rooms. It's just, a, it's a real privilege. It's a pleasure. We really got a nice community going here. And, you know, these are not easy times. And I think we band together and no one's got a monopoly on the truth and try to keep each other out of trouble. So this is great. We'll do it again before too long. Uh, again, I, you know, it's funny. I, got, I mentioned earlier how people tell me I got to keep the rooms to an hour and a half, two hours, and I get these direct messages. Don't you dare do that. These rooms are great. We can't get enough. So whatever. I can't win. All right. So listen, uh, I want to thank all of you. This has been great. Um, stay safe. Um, see you again in a few days. Take care, everyone. Good night.